0: Hey, welcome to the Grady Days podcast. My name is Dustin, and this week I'm here with Edward Conde, and we have a guest, Mr. Jason Konopinski. How are you guys doing tonight?
1: Good, good. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good. Jason,
2: how are you? I'm well, my friends. I'm well. Right. It is. Um, I'm sitting in my office in my house, and the thunderstorm just rolled through. So it's it's been hot as balls here in Pennsylvania. Yeah,
0: I feel you. I feel you. It's been it's been really hot here in the hot Atlanta as you guys want to call it. <laughs> it's really earning its name.
2: I feel like I like I, I brought my I brought New Orleans back home.
0: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> New Orleans is a special kind of like sticky too. Like you smell the sticky on you walking through New Orleans.
2: Oh yes. Oh yeah. I would. There was one morning I I'd, I'd like. Was meeting a client. And so I like walked out of my hotel at seven in the morning. At seven in the morning, it's already 85 degrees Mm -hmm. and 100 degrees humidity.
3: Like
2: all of looking across the street, I was on Barone, so just off of Canal. And looking out of my, um, like walking out of the lobby of the hotel, windows across the street were completely fogged. And as soon as I stepped outside, lens fogged, rangefinder fogged immediately. Like as soon as I stepped outside. And this is at seven in the morning.
0: Yeah, man, I, I feel you there because I, I've started wearing glasses in the last like six months, and that's never something I've like thought about until now. I walk outside, and I'm like, God damn it, I can't see. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like instantly oh, fogged.
1: Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I never see that
2: over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, mainly um, like, here, it's been like standing inside somebody's hot mouth.
0: Yeah. Ugh. 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 That's you're no, welcome. That's no fun. Yeah, it's hot in my house right now, but I've got fans going and everything. It's uh, it's hard for an old forty year old house to keep up with um, the hundred plus degree heat index that we've got going on right now. Mm. So, oh man. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we're just gonna get the elephant in the room. You guys don't hear Mac on the show tonight. Mac is. Um, taking the night off for health reasons. You know, he had a scare a couple weeks ago, so he is not going to be with us tonight, but I'm sure you guys already noticed that with him not being in the intro. So everybody send Max some good vibes and just um, hope he gets better. Hope he starts feeling better soon.
1: Yeah, feel better, buddy.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, brother. That DVT is no joke, so we just want him to focus on his health and, and get to feeling better. Um. So that said, Jason, um, who are you? Tell us. Tell us about oh, yeah. who. Who. Who is this stranger we have on our call tonight? <laughs> who
1: are you, sir? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I. I. I hate this question.
1: I hate, yeah. I hate it.
2: Question. Because invariably, like, I tend to go into professional world and what I do and why I'm around, and I think the better question is like what am I up to, right? You know, like what am I about? Sure. Um why yeah, are you? <laughs> <laughs> What's your I um purpose. Well <laughs> that's it's a, a big question, right? And I think it's an important uh, question. It for, is for me for because it really guides a lot of um why I shoot and why I'm why I've picked up a camera in the first place, which what keeps me picking up a camera. Um why I'm constantly inspired to create. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that um, creativity is kind of innate to all of us. And at some point in our lives, somebody says, you're not creative, or we, we tell ourselves that we're not creative when we put it down. Um, and I, live my, I lived in that space for a really long time, you know, like my quote unquote day job. Um, I've been a full-time freelance writer for 15 years and came to photography at a point in my life where writing for myself was the last thing that I wanted to do because it, I, I, I did it for clients all day long, every day, day in and day out. And that's what led me to pick up a camera. So, you know, who I am now is I'm sitting here as a, you know, I, I, I teach yoga and I am a writer and I'm a photographer. And really, I'm just kind of a creative explorer in every possible way. Um, I
0: like that. Time. Yeah. Creative explorer, I love, it. I love it. That's the episode title. Let me write that down. There it is.
2: <laughs> I do this, you know. I do this exercise with myself every, um, you know, couple of years when I, I, or probably about once a year when I really kind of sit down and and develop core values, like what it is that, why I do what I do, and it does it, are the decisions that the choices that I'm making today are they playing into those core values, yeah. and for. know for this year and really for the past year adventure has been a big one for me and so i really try to um step into creative work that feels like an adventure that feels like play and freedom um so that you know i think any of us whether we're photographers or whatever pursuit that we take on um we don't what led us to pick up our creative tool of choice is not, I want to shoot weddings or I want to shoot family portraits. That's not why we picked it up, right? Mm -hmm. Like what led us to pick it up is expression, creativity, um, you know, being compelled to say and share something. That's why we do it. Yeah. Yep,
0: man, bringing a deal of right the off the bat. <laughs> there it is. No, wow. I, I think it's really good. To, I think that's a really good way to live your life is to kind of keep inventory of yourself and uh, not just to set that inventory, but to actually like check that inventory for of yourself every now and then and make sure you're, you know, keeping stock of the things that you need in your life and getting rid of the things that you don't.
2: Yeah yeah really um i i'm this is if we're just going to go down this road um a really powerful book for me has been essentialism okay and it's really you know the essentialism is written from this perspective of really kind of like organizational change and you know the kind of central thesis to it is that we live the majority of people live the lives of non-essentialists and a non-essentialist looks to like what do i think what is missing for me and to add things on right so we always are we're looking outside of ourselves we're looking into like well i feel incomplete in this conversation or this phase in my life and so i need to do this i need to take this on or i'm feeling unfulfilled in my career so i need this and what an essentialist mindset says what can i get rid of what can i drop away what can i shed that gets me to living the most authentically way that I can, um, in a way that like get I get fired up about you know showing up and doing my work every day, whatever that work is for the day.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. That's That's a, yeah. Perfect. Who who writes yeah, it? I, I wrote, wrote it. A, I wrote
2: it down too. Who's the author? It's Greg McCowan, Um and. You know, there's this really great passage in there when he talks about that most of us live um, moving millimeters at a time in a million different directions. And so, like, nothing ever really moves, right? Because we're just caught into our own inertia. And it says, well, I think what's possible when you trim all of that away and that you can decide, you know, you choose, this is what I'm committed to and I'm going to see if, like this whirlwind of life is going to happen. It's going to occur, and I'm still choosing to go one foot in front of the other and decide what is what is important. And that it's you know either we apply that to a, a photographic challenge, a, a new technique that you're we working on, or like a project that you're taking on, or just like how you interact with other people. I was like um. Eh, yeah, that that Facebook argument that's happening right now, and I don't need I don't need to be a part of it. Don't All have right. anything to add, so I'm just gonna keep it scrolling.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, that's a that's a good outlook. I mean, yeah, I feel like I probably needed to hear that and I didn't even realize it. But I uh, <laughs> just bought that book yeah, on Amazon, book. so uh, I'll be reading it soon. Nice. Yeah.
2: It's one that I recommend to everybody, and the other one that I recommend to everybody is uh, Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It's pretty magical, too.
0: Yeah, that sounds right up my alley.
2: <laughs> yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so. Ed.
1: Well, no, in a good way. In a good way. Not, not, not in
0: a bad way. I'm just playing, man. <laughs> um, wow, so... I
2: feel
0: Sorry, like this just be since book club. No,
2: I mean, I've. <laughs> hey, you there know, is going
0: to sh- be a book club soon. <laughs> yeah, that's what i was saying. Like this Friday, the first episode of the Granny Days Book Club drops. I've got it recorded. Um, I've just got to finish editing it. So it's going to be like a a couple random Fridays. I've actually got three of them recorded. Ed sent me a box of goodies. I'm trying to get through them so I can get them back in the mail for him. Um, but. Some There's some, some good books he sent me, so you guys be on the lookout for that. Um, but I was about to say, I should have tapped you to do some book club for us, just non photographic <laughs> books, I suppose. Um, but no, that's good. I mean, you know, uh, everybody could use a little self help, whether they think they could or not, you know, so it's never a bad thing to get suggestions for things to help you make it through, because sometimes the days can be tough. Yeah,
2: they can be. Yeah. yeah, that's why you know, like, and I think for me, that's why I've I've never. So you know, I've I've heard it. People have said it before. You know that that photography for them is a way that um, to kind of like get themselves right, mm-hmm. okay, like to to be really single minded in what they're doing, so that the the chatter of whatever needs to the email that needs to be sent, or the fact that like you know bank account's not doing so hot, or whatever it is, is getting in the way is a way to disconnect from that. And I like, I, I value that. And it's yes. like my perspective on that is like, for me, photography is a way for me to lean into all that.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay.
2: You know, like to get uncomfortable, like to get, you know, that, that there is this tension that exists. And that's why I pick up a camera to lean into that, not to, to not. I don't pick up a camera to not feel. I pick up a camera to feel more. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Totally. Like to.
1: Yeah. I guess you could also feel differently.
2: Right.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, like, just getting you out of that experience that you're currently in. Because I know, like, so in 2017, I got noted. I got. I got. I was told I was going to get laid off. So that day, my boss, you know, he was all like, well, we're all getting laid off. It was a it was a huge layoff, um, but it wasn't happening for a year or whatever. And so my boss said, you look stressed out, even though I was just more like, "Eh, you know, it's going to be a year. I still have time and that kind of stuff. But he goes, no, you look stressed out. Why don't you go home? So I ended up driving 45 minutes up to Santa Barbara. I had I always carried cameras with me and um, I just decided to. Just photograph and at the same time trying to think what the hell just happened because it it finally sunk in and stuff. But I did take a couple hours to just, you know, just shoot and try to put my mind right and um, and how I'm going to tell this to the family that, hey, in about a year, uh, I'm not going to be employed Mm. by this company, you know, and our lives were going to change because that company was um, four miles away. And now now I'm traveling, uh, I think it's about, I think a 60-mile round trip every day. So I went from 15 minutes to get home and to be here with the kids and the family to uh, now an hour and 30 minutes, mm. you know, come back and stuff like that. So they've gotten used to it, but, you know, um, but, yeah, I can see where something like that for me, I, I went – and I I went to shoot and I went to go do this. Now I think it would have been if I had another hobby, like say um, skateboarding or something, then I probably would have picked up the skateboard and gone to do that. I would have gone to do something different just to get my mind out of this. Uh, but then again, you're driving, so then then your mind creeps back into your reality, creeps back in and and hits you in the in the eyeball and says, "Yep, mm-hmm. this is really happening." Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, no, but yeah.
0: I don't really use photography to like turn my brain off. Uh, I, to me, it just there's too much to think about with photography. Like my, I if I'm if I'm in a turn my brain off kind of mood, I, I just won't go out because I know I'm gonna be lazy with my compositions and like I don't I don't use it as a stress reliever. Like I kind of talked about um, on that previous podcast. To me, like just the the it's kind of like just the having that creative outlet. It's just like a. Real, it's like watching TV for some people, you know. That's just how they, kind of, um, decompress, and it's it's more of a decompression for me than, like, a emotional outlet or like a turning your brain off thing. I, sh- I I'm an mm-hmm. archer as well. Like I shoot. Uh, um, I'm big into traditional archery so I shoot a long bow and to me like getting out and shooting my bow is like that time for me to like zone out because uh, you know it's like for 10 seconds at a time like all that matters is you know what I'm focused on like I have to have complete focus to be able to shoot my bow because I don't shoot with sights I shoot you know off the shelf bare bow um and for me like that's my like shut my brain down and just kind of, you know, focus on myself for however long type of activity. Uh, You know, it's not a creative outlet, um, but it's a physical outlet. It's a mental outlet. uh, It it gives me me time. And I think that's, I think that's necessary. And I think that's what a lot of people use photography for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think more accurately, I guess, if you're going to put a different language to it, like you are, you are fully present. Yep. You're fully present. You're in like you're in that flow state. Yeah. That you know, yogis and meditators and and even athletes, you know, speak about like being in flow. And that's that where there's this element of water, right? Like it's just flowing. And so those are those like for me, those are those moments of intense clarity. Yes. When that's when, like, that's when the light bulb goes, and the 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 solution to like whatever it is, that's sitting on me, suddenly comes in, like lightning bolt. Oh, there it is! And it's often on the. It's always. It's often on like a back end of pressing the shutter. Okay. Or after a or after a printing session. Yeah, I
0: don't know. For me, like especially like a printing session like, that takes so much mental energy from me like because I, I guess maybe it's because I'm still new at it and I haven't like hidden that I've not hit that stage where um, it's like second nature to me Yeah, like it's it, it's it's effort every single print I make uh, at least like finding that print is a lot of effort because I try to not be content with the work I'm doing. Like, I want it to be, I I try to hold myself to a standard. So I'm not just going to like see the print and say, okay, this is okay. I want it to be what I want it to be. And it's just so much mental like usage being put into doing these things. To me, it's almost a stressor, like not a stressor to the fact where it's like I'm stressing out doing these things. But, um, I'm putting that stress on myself doing these
2: things, if that makes sense. Well, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, standards of excellence for yourself. Right. You know, and just if if that is what keeps you honing your craft and being challenged in it, um, even in those moments of like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, Mm-hmm. Like I think I think that creative energy, like to, to continually step into areas of your craft that puts you on your heels because you're unsure of what's happening or how to how to go is for me like that's the that's what's most reinvigorating about picking up a camera in the first place. Like mm-hmm. because I consider it. A practice it's not all you know at some point it bec- it for me it can become less important about the final image and whatever whatever shape that takes whether that's a physical print i'm holding in my hands or something that i post on instagram or into the you know into one of the facebook groups um it's what got me there is for me is the biggest reason hmm. often not always Sometimes no. I just like hey, okay, just like hey, I'm proud of this thing. Like I want to share it, yeah. or it's more, um, or it's in the in the spirit of learning. It's like hey, something went a little screwy here. Let's troubleshoot.
0: Yeah, I, I got, mm-hmm. I got you. I don't, I don't really care too much about that. I, I'm I'm right there with you. I don't really care too much about the end product unless I'm doing something like darker printing most of the time it doesn't see the light of day anyway it's you know my photography is for me for the most part okay so that's a fantastic intro to the podcast this week <laughs> <laughs> we're like oh, no, of, sorry. we're like one of those shows that gets you hooked before the the credits start rolling you know
2: yeah <laughs> this is just
0: your taste of what's coming
2: it just drops you right in the middle of the action, right? You're like, what, yeah. ju- what in the world?
0: Yeah, exactly. Look, man, you start exactly. this and you get 20 minutes in and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll give this a listen. And and then they're like, so, Ed, how was your week this week? <laughs>
1: yeah. What did you buy this week? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Are you asking me now? Yeah, so, Ed, how was your week? <laughs> 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 oh, man, I, uh,
1: let's see. I, I had a good week, um, we're talking about last week. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I got a chance to meet up on my, um, so at, at where I work, we do this thing called summer Fridays. And, um, so we we'll, we get off early on Friday about noon or something or one o'clock depending, depending what time you got there. And what I've been trying to do all summer long is just trying to connect with some of the local photographers. So like Bartasek and, um, Dominguez and my other buddy, Neil, um, Let's see who else has come out. I think uh, Lainez has come out sometimes, maybe. I'm trying to remember. And then a few others. And I just try to pick out, you know, just anyone in L.A. that's a film shooter, even, you know, people that I've interacted with on Instagram. And just to kind of – I want to build kind of like a little community, like people that you actually see physically and stuff like that. Mm. So um you know, just people to go shooting with. And so we had a good time. We we usually end up at Freestyle where, you know, we just, um, you know, buy some stuff. And then, and then we go hit a place to eat. This time it just happened to be Shakey's because I like Shakey's pizza and their chicken and their mojo potatoes. And it's very good. Um, so um, other than that, uh, the weekend's been pretty quiet. I've just been catching up on some of my... Uh, color scanning because I got some stuff back from um, this new camera store that I'm trying, trying out that Bardasek uses. And it's actually really close to my work. So it makes it uh, very convenient. And they're pretty quick. I I went to go drop off uh, five rolls of film at noon. Um, and then she told me they'll be ready by 6.30 tonight. Oh, I'm like, wow. wow. Damn. Like, and it's six bucks per roll. So oh, wow. it's pretty sweet. <laughs> Jesus, Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, okay. I gave them some rolls, and they did a pretty good job, and I'm like, okay, you guys, you guys are
0: now my... Or friends. just dev.
1: Yeah, just dev only. I do all the scanning. I use a flatbed. Um,
0: Still, that's take... awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it saved me a ton of money. Uh, well, not really, because my other place that I used was also 6 bucks, but it was a little bit more of a pain in the ass to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one being so close, and it's also on the way to uh, another location for the office that I often go to about once a week. So it's kind of in that same route, So, is, uh, which is for me. Um, I did meet up with Justin Rosenberg yesterday. He was kind enough to give me a new bulk loader or a used bulk loader, but it has FP4 inside of it. Oh, nice. He got it from a guy who he bought some Polaroid 669 film, so... Um, I hit him up and I said, "Hey, you gonna do anything with that?" And he's like, "No. Do you want it? Is it sure?"
3: <laughs> and
1: um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm a am just gonna split the hundred foot with him, and you know, and then go from there. He says I can keep the loader, so I got another loader, which means right. more more hundred feet of film.
3: <laughs>
1: nice. What's, uh, what's, uh, what's in there now is FP four. Well, but what's next? Oh, what's next? I don't know yet. Well, I'm trying to convince Bartosek to buy 400 feet of double X. Yeah. So I can. Buy feet I'm on
2: board with that.
1: Yeah. Hey, that's yeah, four people so I, right that, there. Yeah, Let's that's all it. we need. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Bartosek. But him, Maestro, on. That. I'm on board with that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've so, got a spare bulk um, loader ready to go.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is just mail it. Yeah. Uh, you can mail it to me, and then we can, uh, once I've finalized with Bardisek, I'm going to see him actually this weekend. Um, because we're gonna do—he's um, gonna do some skateboarding, and I'm gonna do some skateboard shooting. So, yeah, okay. that's gonna be fun.
0: Take it's a wide lens. You guys the
1: skate park. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm jealous. laughs> yeah. So, um, other than that, um, still continuing to um, play around with my new Fuji's, my, my new Fuji camera, and the uh, some M42 glass that Bartek was kind. of Kind enough to let me borrow, so um, you know, just just doing a whole bunch of playing around mostly.
0: Which yeah. lens did he let you
1: borrow? Oh, he let me borrow a Helos uh, 44-2.
0: Yeah, I have one of those. It looks great on the Fuji.
1: Yeah, so I got that, and then he also let me borrow a um, the tacomar P518.
0: Cool. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, and I think Dustin Nicholson has a package to him. I've been chatting with Dustin also, and he has a package to him with, uh, I think, some more some more gear, and um, I'm supposed to get something from that box, so we'll see what's in there uh, that Dustin's sending this way. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that man, I've just been a little bit between digital and film, and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how much longer I'm gonna shoot color and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Until Kodak yeah. Gold runs out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you I never know. I have sources
0: that are telling me that it's gonna go away.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> well so here's, here's my thought on that. You know, and I and I think that in some ways we're as hobbyists in the twenty first century, we have access to emotions that Traditionally, may not have been available within local markets, right? Like that's why Promage is suddenly like has suddenly become available. It's not new, right? Right? Like it was developed to be um, temperature and humidity stable in tropical countries.
0: Yeah, What not it designed for a Central big America?
2: Part of why it was why it was um, introduced in the first place,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so that it could be it could be sitting on a shelf in Tijuana, um, for three months and still get the same results, whether it was shipped the, the day before, right? That it wasn't, it didn't need to be refrigerated. So I think like when it, and this is, this speaks to like Codex track record of renaming emulsions or just repackaging them to distinct markets. To boost the size of their portfolio, like mm. this is not a new tactic. Okay, I mean maybe at some point, like one of the 200 speed stocks is going to go away. Mm. I know that. I know that's what you're thinking.
1: Yeah, that's kind of my angle. I mean, I don't know. I have I have zero insights to Kodak. So, and I think everybody knows that. I think, but yeah, you know, I'm not the joke. just yeah. I'm not. I'm not just saying, oh, you know, you better go buy it, and I'm not buying any of it. I'm actually buying some. Well, one is because I'm I'm gonna. um, I got a. My Fuji stash is starting to kind of go away. My C200 that I have, and I've kind of liked the colors that I've been getting with Kodak Gold, uh, especially on my last trip to Atlanta. Uh, I used a lot of the gold and the Color Plus, but I preferred the the. The colors and and the images I got from the gold, so I'm just kind of moving over to uh, to using the gold. But but yeah, so it, it's I, I have no say <laughs> or, or any type of, any idea if it's really true or not. But but I do see that I see there's two consumer two consumer uh, two hundred speed films, and you know we're we're not in that market anymore where film is king, right? You know there's. Digital is, and so I don't know.
2: I mean, I can say it's for like my local shop. Mm-hmm. What moves the most of is Trix for black and white in thirty-five, yeah. and mm-hmm. Kodak Gold for color. Yeah, yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. That seems to be like yeah, that seems to be totally the film there. photographers' like go-to kit. You know. For people who've, like, settled on, like, I'm just going to shoot these stocks, like, that seems to be, like, what you hear a lot of people say their go-tos are. That that are Portra, but Kodak Gold, you, for, you can almost get three rolls for the price of a roll of Portra, so it just makes more sense to shoot the gold over
2: that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I grabbed five packs of Color Plus on Amazon for, like, 20 bucks out the door.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: that's crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah those that's five thirty six exposure rolls for mm-hmm. twenty.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you using that guy from Continental Photo on eBay? He usually uh, has pretty good I'd,
2: deals. I buy on Amazon.
1: Oh, Amazon, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to buy local just because wanted it's easier and Amazon usually tends to have the same price. But um Yeah. You know. Plus, you know, it's nice. Just to tell the lab, yeah, here's my here's my rolls of film plus here's three packs of gold and three packs of Lomo eight hundred that I and then the wife asked me, What's this charge? <laughs> uh... <laughs> we don't need to talk about this. You don't see nothing here.
0: <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm <laughs> And I'd literally tell her that. I'm like, these are not the charges you are searching for. <laughs> <laughs> so I am a little bit of a Star Wars nerd that did
2: I build a conversation. Do you have wave, too?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do the whole hand wave and everything, yes. Excellent. <laughs> 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 so, but yeah, yeah, that's um, that's pretty much how things are going, have been going. How about you, Dustin? How's your week?
0: Oh, man, I've had a pretty good week um, since we last recorded. Um Went out to a nice Korean barbecue dinner with my wife last Friday night. It's not often we get to go do that kind of stuff. And I I came home to a message from the jester himself, Robert Lanez. Um, kind of talking shit about the Dodgers being the Braves. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Which then he ended up eating crow for the rest of the series. So, so I'm not going to give him too much shit because he's already messaged me about that. Um... <laughs> but and yeah. you
1: noticed you notice I was very in the middle
0: <laughs> and you know Oh yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, I mean,
1: the first couple of, before the games even started. Oh yeah. You know, I yeah. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of going back and forth, right? Oh yeah. Um, but then but then once the, you know, the we won the first one, but then the second one and yeah, anyway.
0: And then the third I don't wanna one. not talk about that weekend. Yes, 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 yes. The, the Braves are not the rookie team you, you guys beat up on last year. We'll just leave it at that and <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Um, but that was nice. Um, Korean barbecue was fun. It was the first time we went to that place and it was a um, pretty fun experience there. Um, it's always fun getting to listen to K-pop and watch the K-pop um, videos while you're scarfing down way too much meat.
2: That's awesome. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so we did that, and then um, I'm trying to think. Saturday um, was just like a lazy day. I didn't, I didn't touch a camera. I didn't touch a roll of film. Develop nothing, uh, and it was nice. Uh, And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the week. Like I haven't really been shooting anything. um, Yeah, I kind of like it. I think I'm just gonna take the week off. I'm just you know uh i did take a picture on my frugal film project camera today i saw something that i liked and i snapped a picture of it but you know that that project has a deadline i can't afford to take a week off on it but just in general um i've I've kind of taken a week off from photography outside of this podcast and and that project um i think it's nice but it does kind of at the same time i um i got my digitalizers in today um nice i also got my undo pinhole from the kickstarter in today and that thing is super super nice i don't know if you guys have seen pictures of them rolling in yet but man it's a uh, black walnut and it's just fantastic they did it they definitely delivered on that project
2: oh that's awesome yeah i'm sitting here looking at my noon pinhole yeah those are gorgeous like, too i need to get that I need to shoot some more
0: yeah, so I've been um, I've been really enjoying shooting with that zero image six by six that I have, um, and I got that one because like as far as a six by six pinhole, it's pretty small. It's you know I can fit it in my back pocket um, of my shorts or my pants or whatever if, if I want to do that and go out and shoot. This undo, I got the six by twelve because I'm uh, really into panos and I was like, I, I just I love the way that um, pinholes expose uh, the rays of light like shooting i like to shoot yeah. directly into the sun uh i don't i try not to shoot with the sun behind me I, I just really love the rays of sunlight especially if there's clouds and stuff um so i thought that would be really rad to shoot on 6x12 and it's multi-format so i can do 6x6 6x9 or 6x12 but it's most likely going to just stay 6x12 um which is cool because the digitalizer is going to make it where i can do that fairly fairly easy like scan those images in and st- and stitch them um mm-hmm. although i was listening to speaking of shooting your fujis ed i was listening to classic lenses podcast this morning and um mm-hmm. they had ed noble on and he was talking about doing um bokeh panoramas which seems like a really cool thing to do um where you take you know multiple pictures and then you have like something that you're isolating, and then you have like just a huge panorama, which um, sounds fun. And, and I was, you know, talking to Simon Forrester about doing like using my Fuji to like figure it out. And I, I was telling him like what lenses I had and stuff, and he kind of gave me a tip on like how to do it with a film camera. So like learn <laughs> learn the process with my digital camera, practice with one lens, and then get my Minolta and the 51.7 and just use an entire roll of film for one shot. Wow. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try it out and we're going to see how it, how it turns out. But, um, that was a really fun episode to listen to. So that might be upcoming this weekend. I don't know. I've got like fantasy football drafts and stuff like that going on this weekend. So I don't know if Mm -hmm. I'm on the time for that, but, um, yeah, that and then uh, I got the 3D printer I was talking about getting. Um, it came in cool. on it came in on Sunday, and I got it I got it all built and put together Sunday, and I've just I spent most of last night um, tinkering with it and trying to get it printing, and I'm running a benchmark tests right now, and hopefully I'll be able to start doing um, some cool. I've got I've got a couple ideas. I've been playing around in Tinkercad and stuff, trying to um, get some designs out of my head and into a digital file, but, so we'll see how that goes. Um,
2: crank out some 620 spools. Do what? So crank out some 620 spools.
0: Yeah, I, I could, actually. Uh, I just gotta get some measurements. If anybody wants to send me a 620 spool, I will okay. um, I'll get some yep. measurements and I'll get it in Tinkercad.
1: I'll send you one. I yeah. have one around here on this messy desk of mine, but I do have one, so I can send you that.
0: Okay. Do it. Uh, um I know Gutterman's always been wanting those six twenty spools for that whatever fancy camera he has. So The medalist. Yeah. Is it a Leica? No, it's that Imperial, <laughs> isn't it? An Imperial <laughs> that that seafoam green one he has. I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. Um I think it's
2: the uh the, the Kodak Medalist. Okay. Which was okay. the Kodak introduced that camera. Like that was that was not a consumer camera. That was a military-only application. Oh, okay. I gotcha.
3: Oh, really? Oh, nice. That's good. And it
2: know. was. It's argued that it's thought the lens on that is thought to be the best lens that Kodak ever manufactured. But it, like, if there is ever a case to read the manual before picking up that a camera, that's it's it. for that. One okay. Without.
0: I don't think I've really ever looked into that camera, but um, I'll have to. I'll have to give it a shot I because do. that's a that's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool, little factoid. But um, other than that, I stayed up way too late watching the soccer game on Sunday night, and spent the re- the past couple of days like tired and heat exhausted, and just wanted to sit in a nice ice cold bath. <laughs>
1: nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been not a very interesting photography week, but it is what it is. Sometimes you gotta you gotta take a mental day, you know. And in my case, a week.
1: That's that's fine. Yeah,
0: but I mean, and who knows? Next week, I, I'll probably will blow it off as of tomorrow and go do whatever. But for now, that's the plan. So, Jason, have you been up to anything cool this past week? I know, I know, we had we didn't hear from you in the previous weeks of what you were up to, but anything noteworthy that you'd like to talk about?
2: Oh man um you know i just been i've been shooting a ton of the 2238 which is just such a fun film to shoot it is Um, i just you know i like every time i stop into my local shop i I just i i geek out and, and when talking about it because it's it's just so different and and i love that we have access to these weird and funky films um but yeah, I've just been—I've been shooting a ton of it. I actually just fired off a roll today, when I was on my way to Gettysburg for a meeting, and um, you know, stopped onto the battlefield. And and uh, I live about a half hour from Gettysburg, so it's it's just kind of like a convenient stop place to stop. Mm. And uh, yeah, shot some twenty-two thirty-eight in uh, Canon VT Rangefinder, finder. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, I know, right? Yeah. And actually, like... You know, it, it, I think it's a bleed over from last week, but I've been playing around shooting a lot more 8mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, just that they're just fun cameras to use. You know, fully um, mechanical lines. You know, they run about a 30th of a second. And as of, well, I could say, I don't know if you guys saw the email, um, but. FVP is rolling out three new eight millimeter film stocks.
0: Yeah, I saw that like just yeah. a couple hours ago.
2: Yeah, which is pretty exciting. So it just you know it's it's a it's a fun challenge. Um, you know, I can really see myself getting very deep into home movie making, um, and I think the big the thing that keeps me from really stepping into that is the cost of processing is not low
0: right it's like 70 dollars for a roll right
2: well you know you can get the rolls of eight millimeter as of well before fbp's announcement the only commercially available eight millimeter stock that still existed is made by foma and it runs 17 to 18 dollars for 25 feet so Eight mil uh, straight eight, you run through once, you flip it, you run it through again, and then it gets spliced. Uh, split and spliced to process it. So you get a continuous fifty feet after shooting it. Hmm. Um But to actually deal with fifty feet of film, like the only real way to do it is with those LOMO tanks that kind of look like a UFO. And there's that there's a dude in the Ukraine that's sitting on like must be sitting on Containers and containers of new old stock. <laughs> you but don't at think some they're still point, making it. Going to go. Away. I don't think they're still making it now.
0: Okay. I mean, because I know Foma is making films, but so I don't know. Well,
2: Foma's making the film, the Lomo Tanks oh, to process.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, that's the new old stock. But gotcha. yeah, Foma is still at, is still producing new film. um It's a hundred speed black and white reversal.
0: Okay. Oh, cool!
2: It's a neat film, and it's like little daylight—you know, daylight reels—and it's just fun to use. There, like, there's something very uh, distinctive about when you fire the shutter and just you hear it whirring.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, actually, let me go grab one real quick, and you can hear it. It's empty.
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever done any like eight millimeter of that old school shooting.
0: Yeah, so a, I remember. Okay, here
2: we go. Good stuff.
1: Wait, did we? Was there something we we're supposed
2: to hear? Yeah,
0: we couldn't hear it through the phone. Nah, <laughs> could, it wasn't loud enough. I guess.
2: Yeah, it's all right. We'll, you can isolate some sounds.
0: Yeah, we'll see.
2: It's a lot of work.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, other than that, it's been. Um, I just been printing a ton, oh, good. you know, kind of going through old work and and um, you know, man, I've just been geeking out on old process stuff, which has been fun, like cyanotypes. Yeah. So
0: is that all you've been printing is alt process? Have you or have you been doing darkroom or um, are what? you one of these inkjet printers that has been uh, popping up all over the place lately?
2: I you know I've had my Canon Pro One Hundred for. It's two years. I got it at like when Canon runs their like stupid, ridiculous rebates. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I yep. got mine after the rebate for like less than a hundred bucks. <sighs>
0: nice.
2: That's what I'm and waiting
0: for. I was talking about what? it last week. That's that's the cam the printer I'm waiting on right now. As soon as that sucker goes on
2: sale again, I'm grabbing one. Yeah. And it seems like they've always got some deal incentive happening it's just you can kind of pick and choose the one that's most appealing to you i think sometimes they package it with papers or with um inks and yeah you know there's, or a rebate card i know after the mail-in rebate i paid a hundred dollars for my can for that printer yeah. And it
1: is, yeah yeah that was the same same deal i got and got paper with it and the ink and all that stuff it was great
2: But yeah, just uh, I've been most of my printing has been um, on the inkjet, you know. Haven't actually gotten down into my dark room to do any uh, any darkroom printing in a while. Um, That's you know, I I get into my dark room, but when I do it, I tend to be playing around with cyanotype um, versus doing a traditional darkroom print. There's something really fun about doing, um, the digital negative and then just laying it, laying it on a piece of coated watercolor paper, like Mm -hmm. the, the, the chemical, the emulsion is so simple. It's an A and a B. Um, you brush it on, it's UV sensitive. So you can do it in, you can do it under, you know, under a desk lamp, um, then I have a contact printing frame that to do it. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun to do.
0: Where are you getting the, um, what are the emulsion, I, I guess for that.
2: Um, you can buy it. It's, uh, I'm going to have to check my notes to just to give you an accurate, give you an accurate description of what it is. Um, Photographer's formulary has a a kit um, you can get it on you know a lot of art stores will have it for like sun papers it's two the, the it's two chemicals it's ferric ammonium citrate and potassium ferricyanide that when they when you mix them together um, at the time you're coating the paper kind of looks like a pale green and you just brush it on Equal parts, me. yeah. So the the the, the chemical itself, um, the what becomes light sensitive or becomes UV light sensitive, um, is uh, is uh, solid form. So it's a powder, and you mix it with water, and then you keep those two you keep those two parts separate, and they'll keep for years.
0: Huh? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look into that. Uh, I've always thought that cyanotypes look so rad, but I've never really. Done any sort of research on them?
1: Yeah, I did a couple when I was in in Vienna with Lamography. That was one of the workshops that we did. We were able okay. to... You went to Vienna? Yeah,
2: yeah, back in 2017. You know, with I've never heard you say that.
0: What? He said that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you have to be trolling. I don't. I don't I, water
0: wet. is wet, right? Yeah you, you talked about cyanotypes but you've also messed around with salt prints um, that's something I've heard around as well but I don't really know like what goes into salt printing
2: so salt prints and cyanotypes and what they call like Van Dyke prints are all contact prints um, they're I, I guess there you know if you get a little creative you might be able to do it as an optical enlargement, but it's really it's a, it's a contact print. Um, so salt prints what they what is, is a really early photographic process um, where the first the paper is brushed. Um, I use um, watercolor paper so you really what you want something that will withstand being submerged hmm. um so really heavy watercolor paper because mm-hmm. that's really you're, you're washing it out multiple times um paper gets coated first with uh, uh just salt you know it's a it's, um, sodium chloride at a 10 percent solution and so you brush that on you let that dry and then you're um then you're applying um the sensitizer which is silver nitrate Um, Silver nitrate, when it combines with the silver or sodium chloride, um, then creates the light sensitive crystal. And then it's just, you know, you're laying the negative um, into the contact printing frame and then putting it out into the sun. Or I actually have a a small UV lamp that um, I suspend from my, you know, the, the, the negative carrier of my enlarger and just project it down and that's how i make my exposures they're long you know and like on average cyanotypes are like 25 30 minutes oh man and it'd be under the uv light if outside in strong sun is a fraction of that
1: huh.
2: probably 10 or 15
1: yeah. minutes i'm gonna have to try a salt print those yeah. look pretty cool
2: Yeah, they're they're um, they're really really cool. Andrew Bartram does a lot of salt printing. Yeah, uh, and initially I had a lot of problems with salt prints because I was I couldn't get a good enough density of ink to lay on the transparency to get Mm -hmm. good separation. You know, like you really want a negative that has a lot of contrast. Gotcha. Lose. um, You'll actually want to add about you always want to give it um an extra stop or two of light Mm -hmm. um, when you're exposing the salt print because you'll you'll lose that you'll lose that equivalent when you wash it out
3: Hmm.
2: and there's something really you know just there's um they are true one-offs because there's always something they're always they're always a, a little different in how you apply the the solution. I like that. You know, some people use a glass rod to really get a really even coat on the paper. Um, I like when I do cyanotypes. I actually like using a, a foam brush because I think that the the brush strokes are visible and it adds just an organic element to the to the cyanotype. They're hella fun to make.
1: They look like
2: you it. Don't do them with contact prints with negatives to do. Um, you know, they were. It was introduced first as a way to do like bot- botanical illustrations, so laying leaves and feathers right. and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff on the paper, and something that is a little um, uh, translucent, so you actually get this kind of ghost coming back. So if you think like a a leaf um, in late fall when it's kind of skeletal and how that would like you get this kind of lacy effect on the paper it's actually really cool
0: oh man you're gonna yeah i'm gonna get a little right. deep in some <laughs> in all these chemicals so no i've heard that like that kind of stuff will like turn you into a smurf if you're not careful with it
2: yeah i mean it, mm-hmm. it helps to wear gloves Especially if you're doing salt prints, because silver nitrate will turn your skin black. Yeah, and you don't really want to be getting silver nitrate on your hands anyhow. Right. You know, heavy metals are no joke. But that's a great story. Yeah, you know, the the all process stuff is fun. Kind of my next adventure is to do um, small. Um, amber types, so the distinction between like amber type and tin type. Tin types on metal, amber type is on glass. So it's a wet plate process to do it um, in a six by nine format. So find like an old Kodak folder and do small plates.
0: Oh man, that sounds cool. There's a yeah, guy. I mean, wet. Oh, I can't think of his plate name. Plate is a
2: whole new world of wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, Dry plates are actually kind of where I'm headed, and dry plates were essentially like, this is pre before you know before George Eastman started producing film on acetate. You were buying dry plates, so they were thin glass that the emulsion was applied to.
0: Right. Um, Who is it? Chroma just did a. I don't know if it's still going, but they've got a uh, the Kickstarter for um, a dry plate.
2: Yeah, yeah, that dude. Um, well, Steve from Chroma and and Jason, um, who is doing the the glass plate stuff. Like he, what's it's it's kind of a way to get into the older processes without adding a whole lot of complexity with collodion and silver nitrate and all that stuff. Because you know, collodion has ether in it, and mm-hmm. so that's explosive. Right. Like, you don't want to really be fucking around with Ether if you don't
0: know
1: what
2: you do. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm going down this salt print rabbit hole now.
3: Yeah. And... I know. I, I sound distracted <laughs>
0: because I'm just browsing these yeah. prints now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna, put this away. Let's get back to <laughs> the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I started, like,
1: started looking for, like, salt print workshops, you know, because this is, like, something I think I'd, I'd like to have somebody teach me first how to do it and yeah. then figure out this is something I want to do. Yeah. And like for, I can just, yeah, you know,
2: a salt print and an, and a Van Dyke print is the type of salt. Yeah. So traditional oh. salt printing uses just silver or sodium chloride, um, ammonium chloride, uh, uh, turns this print a little purplish. Um, and that's a, that's a Van Dyke, but it's the, the, the process itself is, is identical. Okay. Mm. So
1: about inkjet printing, do you still do you print anything <laughs> with inkjet? <or? laughs> so let's get back to modern times here. Um, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> How much are you printing off of that one uh, hundred?
2: Um, pretty regularly, actually. Like I do, um, you know, I I shoot a lot of street, and yeah. I found it really, really helpful that it puts people at ease when they kind of see the camera and they go, who's this guy? Like, what's he doing? And it'd be after they'd be able to, to hand them a small four by six print.
0: Right. Right.
2: Uh, so I, I go through probably once a week and, and, you know, pull, uh, you know, a greatest hits. Um, you know, friends that I keep in my bag with me all the time. And I put on a, you know, print, Write my Instagram handle on the, on the, on the bottom and then slide up a, a, a card um, in against a poly bag and a small backing board and then just mm-hmm. carry those in my bag with me.
0: Gotcha. And you just hand those out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, you know, I just, it, it almost serves as a, I think it puts people at ease in a way that um, I think, you know, a lot of people have a natural distrust of cameras. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. You know, and it's just that there is practicing street photography is just that. It's a practice. And so like there I've I've had those I've had those moments when, you know, I I was a little too zealous to get the shot and you know, somebody got kind of confronted. Mm-hmm. And I realized like hey, it's not that important.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So have you, um, you also have been selling prints through a website recently, right? Yeah. So how how is that going for you? Have you noticed do, when you're are you just selling your inkjet prints, or are you selling alternative process prints and darkroom prints and stuff like that?
2: Um, I haven't done anything with alternative process stuff. I'm I'm still in this experimental phase of getting ready to do um, a new. Show, okay. With the, with some of the alt processed stuff, um, you know, there's something that salt print portraits especially are really really amazing. Like there's just a depth to them that you don't get from silver gelatin. It's it's just that simple. Um, and so I've been experimenting with that. So when I do, I have a like an Etsy shop, and I have it set up as an option between. An inkjet print or the darkroom, um, and I'd say at this point it's about seventy thirty, inkjet over darkroom.
0: That's what I was wondering. If you were getting a lot of um, interaction with the the darkroom prints, Now, What do you? What are your price points? Like, what is your difference in your price point? Are you tacking on a solid premium for darkroom prints? Like, that's what I'm curious about. If it's worth it to do the darkroom prints over just the ink jets with the volume that you get from one versus the other?
2: Um, I, you know, it depends on size. Like, um, you know, usually for my eight by tens, um, which is the majority of what I post and, you know, I have available for sale are by eight by tens, um, inkjet, Now I use the, I use red rivers, uh, Palo Duro soft gloss rag. So excited about that paper. 100% cotton rag, inkjet, that I've I've done um, really polished darkroom, and that print put them side by side and handed them to somebody, and they were unable to tell the difference. Oh, wow. The, 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 the Palo Duro is a really, really fantastic paper. Um, it has a really great tonality. it just it renders everything really really well Wardasek um, actually has a couple of my prints um, Hold on on the So I you know for the price point um eight by tens I typically do between 25 and 30 for the eight by 10 inkjet and then I'll add ten dollars for the for a fiber based darker print. okay. And then, 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 and then I add a lead time to that, too, because I want to get it right.
0: Right.
1: Hmm. Sorry about that, fellas.
0: Oh, you're good. Yes. It's, it's all right. It's not, it's not their first appearance on the cast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little fluff dog, man. She uh, she heard some people talking, and that's all she needs to go crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So you mentioned your gallery show that you've got a new one coming up. You've had a gallery show in the past. Um what was that what was that like, that whole process? First of all, um did it go well? Did did it go as planned? Um let's, uh tell us about that gallery show.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um so you know, I, I made a decision earlier this year to you know, it's I was at this place where my my work existed online. It existed in, on Facebook shares and on in Instagram, and that's really how it existed. And I wanted to get it out. You know, I wanted to, um, I mean, and certainly I was making prints for myself and I was giving a lot of them away, but, you know, it just, it was, I wanted to get more eyes on the work.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so... The, the gallery, um, you know, where I live, um, or in the next town over, actually, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually an office building, you know, and so it's a really beautiful space, long hallway, complete high ceilings that they're, this long hallway is designated as a gallery. So they've got all the hardware on the walls and all the proper lighting, and they just rotate artists in on a monthly basis. You know and so they use it the first Friday of the month as kind of the opening reception and then it hangs for the entire month totally free of cost to the artist which is awesome oh wow um yeah yeah and so I just um, you know I, I decided to mount them all uh, just the raw prints on the walls and so I did them with um, with bulldog clips on the wires the grid work and I said I had I'd had about 15 eight by tens. 10, 12 by 12s and um, 4 13 by 19s. And so they were all they were all inkjet. Um, I had this ambition of doing them all in the dark room and I realized that just the amount of time that was going to be necessary to do that was I didn't have enough time. I didn't I didn't have, I didn't have the, the available bandwidth to, to, to produce all of those prints in a way that I wanted to to do them justice in the dark room. Um, and so they were all done on the Paladuro um, from eight by 10 all the way up. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really successful show. And the, in that, you know, there were people who came in to see that, you know, support the work. And they, they, during that opening reception, they, my first night, I pre-sold 10 prints.
3: Oh, man,
2: and, yeah. And then sold an additional five. And I you know during the, during the run, um which has been fun you know and i and i really went into it with not a whole lot of expectation um would i have liked to have every prince sold absolutely did everyone sell no um and it's what it did for me was it just got me excited about doing it again you know there was already even during that opening reception i was having conversations with people who were coming in and going. Yeah, these are I'm already imagining some of these as salt and some of these as um, as cyanotypes to give a to reimagine that same body of work in a whole new way. And now I'm starting to shoot specifically with those end treatments in mind, which has changed the way that I compose and the way that I process and you know, I think it's really starting I you know, people say that once you get into the dark room it you, you it changes your entire perspective on how you capture the image and those decisions that you're making about development decisions that you're making about paper choice and, and all that and how that affects the the presentation of the final print in the end and i knew that and it took me it it took taking my best inkjet print and challenging myself to do that same thing in the dark room before I realized, Oh shit, this is a whole lot more difficult than I imagined.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, it's it's, not something, it's hard for me to carry a conversation with you because I don't, first of all, like I've never, it's, it's a dream of mine. I have a, um, I have a project in mind um and i it, I don't want to even think about gallery stuff until this project that I have in my mind and like i ha I can see it I know everything I want to do with it it's just like making it come to fruition and getting to that point but I would like to have it be in a gallery or something at one point um and I think that, like, a, a gallery, a small book, like, not even a zine, just, like, a small book. Um, it's all um, square format, uh, a mixture of, like, high contrast, black and white, and color, um, and have the two contrast each other. So, kind of, like, my idea is, um, I've got to get another back from my Hasselblad before I can start it. But those are expensive, mm-hmm. so I haven't done it yet. Um, But the whole idea is... um. I've talked about it before, but it's right now it's just going by like the pepper project in my head. But I've always uh, I've I'm a big fan of hot peppers and like we me and a buddy like mess around with peppers and crossbreeding them and all that stupid stuff. Um, So like I I have this project in my mind that I I want to like try to convince people to be a part of, and that's like part of it too is getting the courage to go up to somebody and be like, hey will you eat a hot pepper and let me take a picture of you doing it? Because uh, <laughs> that, that's what, but I don't want it to be like a, Like that's that's. The, everybody laughs at that response, but I don't want it to be like a humorous thing. Like I genuinely like really love the way people's faces blush. And I think it's beautiful. Like all of the colors that come to your face and like the look in your eye, the twinkles and stuff that people get like right after that heat hits them. Um, And I want to try to capture that. And uh, I want to do like a just a plain picture in black and white, um, of just like a portrait of the person and then have the contrasted, like bright, well lit, probably, you know, strobes or studio lighting, whatever um, of that moment of, you know, pain, euphoria, whatever that person feels when they eat a hot pepper. Um, on
2: the next page. So what, if I can ask? So like, what's got you stuck in it?
0: Um, right now. I mean,
2: independent of the, dependent of like, oh, I need the, the the practical stuff. Like, oh, I need another back for the hassle black. Right now, what's, where, just, where's, where's the bottleneck for you?
0: Um, there's not really a bottleneck. It's something I'm actively working towards. I'm just trying to hone my skills into. Yeah and be able to consistently produce the results that I want, essentially. Um, just, just practice right now. So it's an ongoing project. I don't, it's not something that I'm just going to whip up overnight. Um, I, I just, you know, that's why I started learning how to play with flash and all of that stuff. Um, I would like a portrait lens as well. My 80 millimeter could do it just fine. um, but I would like a portrait lens to use for the project as well. Um, but that's just it it, right now. It's just time. Um, obviously like another back for the Hasselblad so that I could, and honestly I could probably, if I just did one, if I just did it all in color, um, I could no problem do it with what I have now. I just want to get to a certain point with my skills. I'm I was talking about earlier I'm hypercritical of myself. That's why I don't share a lot of my work. Um mm. and, and I just don't think I'm ready yet to put that out there because this is like a project that I've been thinking about for a very long time. And it is something that I want to be able to present in a gallery setting. Um and in the way I would do it there is have the pictures you know side by side and you would walk through and look at it, you know whatever. Um, so I would, uh, I just, and, and part of it, like I want to do a little traveling, you know, we have um, here in the South Pucker farms, I think is what he calls it. But uh, <laughs> the guy who, who creates, all- sorry. It, yeah. It, <laughs> <Pucker> that, yeah. <laughs> it is humorous. That's what the, uh, I think his name is smoking Ed. Um, it's what he goes about. He's the guy who like crossbred the ghost, Pepper and the Carolina Reaper and the new Pepper X is like, like a lot of like the last like super hot peppers that have come along. Like he's the guy doing it, and I want to like he's got like these huge farms, and that's also something I would like to be able to add to the project is like you know I want to go out and see these plants and like actually take pictures of the plants themselves and of the peppers and you know whatever too. So it's just fleshing out my concept and and honing my skills to. To be able to produce said project because it's it's I, it's nerve wracking to say hey eat this oh shit sorry I missed that shot Ooh. you know yeah right, right.
2: well are you, have you guys seen um Ed Pavez's um his twenty one rolls yeah. project
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah
2: that he mm-hmm. did yeah you know and I and I, I he's one of my favorite YouTube channels actually. Um, yeah, and I and I love you know, the perspective that he offered. That I found like that it was like this aha moment for me was you know he said it's not really fun in the moment. You know, like okay. I'm when I I can look it's I can look at the completion of the projects and I can like and, 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 and in a retrospective like as a post mortem and go, okay, that was fun. I enjoyed that process. I learned something. I honed my craft in a particular way. But I can't say that in the middle of slogging through, you know, a full roll a day, that that's a fun process. It's not really enjoyable. Like, there is a moment of, yeah, like, it it does take a, a commitment. It takes something to say, I'm gonna keep doing this thing, even when I like. There's like, oh, it it all sucks. I'm I'm not dissatisfied with all the work that I've done. That it's just terrible. I want to scrap it all. I don't. I don't want anybody to see it. But I yeah. think like there's 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 still something valuable in that. And I've noticed this about myself that. I, I can, personally I can be a lot more um, vulnerable in the, in, the, in the stuff that I you know like there is there is this element of social media that we we censor right or we we put it as the highlight reel and why not share the the, the failures of it right like oh like like so my my little screw up the other day, Thought it was a roll of TMax 200. suppose it at 25. Thinking it was 22.38. Oops. Were those they were the results of that that roll, like mind-blowingly awesome? No, they're pretty mediocre. Mm. But there was still something in the in the, the act of saying like, okay, here it is. I learned yeah. something from it. Yeah. That's spectacular. Yeah. Am I going to print any of that? No. Hmm. But there's
1: still something to be said for it. Right. Right. You know, I felt the same way that Ed when I was doing my the panel stuff, and you know, I was just constantly shooting it and shooting it and shooting it. After a while, I'm like, I didn't even care. And I would just point the camera up or whatever in a direction and just shoot it. I, it got to a point where it was just like I, I think I'm done. And that was going that was towards the end of it. I didn't find any more mm-hmm. um, um, mm-hmm. Fun into into uh shooting panos um and i and I think a lot of it was because I was going back to the same spots um you know to try to get different different looks or whatever, but at the same time, I'm just like, Ugh, I don't know if this is good or not or or, or whatever um so yeah it, it's like a fatigue you get or um mm-hmm. you know just being stuck with that okay, this is the ratio i'm I'm shooting um but you know luckily for me I got some stuff that I actually liked <laughs> thank god because I wasted a lot of film I mean I shot a crap load of film for that and um you know I still don't know what I'm going to do with it I I have it I've shared stuff on Instagram I did that for a bit um but I still have quite a few in my library that I you know I go back and look at it but I'm like uh, what am I gonna do with this? And I know, I know. At one point, I'd like to make a zine or a book out of this. Maybe just a whole book out of, you know, x amount number of of shots, and then just this is it, right? I don't know, but, but yeah, I felt is, is, uh, I. I I
2: understood what he was going through with
1: the
3: 21 rolls thing. Mm -hmm. And I I
2: appreciate his perspective on it, too. He's like, I shot 3,200 because I didn't know this film. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's something to that. Why don't we do that? Why why is there this? What I find so refreshing about his perspective is that he looks at it from... I don't know. I don't see New York as my city yet, and so I'm going to force myself into um, really understanding the genre that that I pretend to, to practice. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go into these areas and and you know train my eye, and so that I can rely so smoothly on muscle memory too of you know, for him, it's the M2 and a I think 28 millimeter lens. Like he had to train his eye in that way. Yeah. And I like, and a lot of the ways that I approach my photography is I think influenced from his perspective in that, like, I don't often, I, I trust my ability to read light and it's, there's something really awesome about going in and saying, okay, I'm looking at a scene and I say, okay, I, I, I'm shooting a pan and that's all I'm shooting, or all I'm shooting is ultra fine for two or three weeks. So that I can know, I know how that film is going to behave. I can look at that scene and go, okay, that's five, six at 125 and, and categorize, kind of like, you know, put that away in my memory banks. So the next time I come across something with similar lighting, I don't have to think about
1: Mhm. Gotcha.
2: It's just, it's an automatic thing. And so, um, you know, he talks in that video of, of like of catching the two men kissing. And it was like it, it. he saw it out of the corner of his eye and he kind of picked up the camera and, and like lifted it over his shoulder and grabbed it. He was walking by and it came back. He didn't frame it in front of him. It, he framed it as he was walking by and he said, if I got that shot, this is going to be the shot of this entire project. Hmm. And it was, and it was a beautiful image.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of projects and things of that sort, you know, we are both part of a project, the, um, the Frugal Film Project that Sherry Christensen put together. And I've talked about it, you know, many times on this podcast, but I feel like. You know, there's no better time than to kind of get into meeting the taters of what it actually is than, you know, when somebody else in the project is on here. And, you know, I want to try to get Sherry on, um, but I want to wait until the project is over before I get her on. Um, I thought about, like, asking her on sooner um, because, you know, she has her podcast now. And if everybody's not listening to that, go check it out. It's Embrace the Grain. Uh, She's doing a really good job with it. But I want to get her on once the project is over to kind of talk to her about it and see, you know, how she like kind of what her mental state was about the project going into it. And then as we worked through it and then like how she thinks it turned out and all that stuff. But, um, you know, that's like six months in the future. So we'll have to wait and see. But for now, (laughs) um, you're here. So. How you found out about the probably through the negative positives group?
2: Yeah, yeah, and that was. I think it was at the time I was pretty new to the group, and you know, just kind of made some initial contacts. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, I, and I and it because my tendency for so much of my work, and I do it with air quotes when it comes to my photography, is that you know I I, I kind of blow with the wind it's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah let me let me shoot some landscape and oh i'm playing with this new film and and i and i it i felt constantly adrift and completely unfocused in what i was doing and so to step into a project that in some way the rules were already written it was like yeah i can do that yeah I can pick a camera and I can pick a film and I can and I can commit to shooting a role specifically with that camera with that specific deadline in mind month after month after month and use a camera that has its quirks has been a lot like it's been a really great experience. So,
0: that said, what camera and film stock are you using for the project?
2: So, I'm using a Petri Color 35. Um, The Petri Color 35 is the Japanese clone of a Rolly 35. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Is it really? Yeah, uh, 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 largely. Ugh. You know, it 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 is very much the size. It's it has the the position of the um, the dials is changed. Mm-hmm. So while the Raleigh thirty five is a gorgeous piece of equipment, it's a pain in the ass to use. Yes,
0: right. Uh, it is it, a
2: yes. it is a beautifully engineered machine. Yes, but it is really difficult to use.
0: It's not fun and to so use piece,
2: at all. No, it's not. It's, it's, and you will work for every shot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So the Petri took the dials, the shutter speed and the aperture dial off the front plate and turned it to the top.
0: Okay. Which, you know, like, Makes that's sense. what most of
2: us are familiar with. Correct. Yeah. Um, so tiny little compact, you know, 40 millimeter um, fixed lens, 2.8, uh, really limited in the shutter speeds. It goes from a fifteenth to two fiftieth plus bulk. Oh wow. So pretty, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's almost designed as I I you know, I think that it's really was designed as a shutter priority camera, largely. And the reason I say that is that the the shutter speed dial has hard stops. So you know when you're clicked into a specific shutter speed. The aperture dial that is closest to your, um, like to your eye, so it's the the rear dial. Um, it's, it doesn't have any stops, so it's really fluid. So you can float between apertures to get exposure in the light meter.
0: Hmm.
2: But it's um, it's you know guess focused.
0: Yeah. I was. I picked up the Rolly 35 at a um, antique store, and I shot a few rolls through it. And I was like, you know what? If I, I enjoy shooting my XA2, if I'm going to use a zone focus camera, that's going to be the one I use.
2: Yeah, I mean they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful machines. They're just not really all that um, great to use, like functionally. Right. Mm. Okay. Which so- the, the 35 is. You know, has a little um, CDS light meter that's set into the lens. Um, It's a great little, like it's a it's a fun camera to use. Um, And I'm using the Ultrafine 400. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's such a good Uh, Ultrafine for for life.
1: Hashtag Ultrafine for life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the that's the same one I've been using. Um, Have you been using filters or anything with it?
2: I haven't um, because they partially because i'm lazy and i don't often carry filters with me and it's a weird filter size yeah, so yeah it's like a 30.5 I'm, or I, something Unless i it's... have the 52 millimeter filter you know red filter in my bag that i use with my um with my cannons mm-hmm. i don't have it and I, so i can hold it over the lens um and i just don't do that right mm.
0: I got you. I um I've pretty much got an orange filter mated to my camera right now, um, with that filter. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, you know, I don't. It doesn't react the way that I'm um, used to seeing an orange filter react. Uh, it kind of mutes my tones, and honestly, I don't know if that's just the DF ninety six two that I've been developing it in. Um, but it it's not as contrasty under an orange filter as expected. So I'm gonna yeah. I think, I think I'm going to switch to a yellow filter going forward um, because I don't like to shoot black and white without a filter. Um, if I have the option, you know, obviously on point and shoots and stuff, it is what it is. Um, but I do like to try to have at least a yellow filter on my um, black and white. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to swap over to yellow. Uh, Cause if I'm not getting the hard contrast want one out of the orange, uh, I would rather yeah. go back to, you know what I know because I, I know the results that it puts out with the yellow because I, I only shoot a yellow filter really on my BESA and I've shot it through my BESA mm-hmm. m- many times.
2: Um, yeah, I've enjoyed how the are films. You... Yeah. So question for you, Dustin, are yeah. you, um, is, is that decision to use the filter? Are you ultimately thinking about printing?
0: No. So, when I'm thinking about printing, I won't use such a harsh color filter. Um, I'll try to Pretty shoot. Flat. It. yeah, I'll try to shoot it more flat and and do my contrast in the dark room. But I'm not shooting these to print in the darkroom. room. Uh, I was originally uh, my the, like the first two months that's what I was doing was printing them in the dark room and then scanning the dark room prints. but that was just so much work um, when you're given when you have a monthly timeline. I just I, I was coming up to the crunch and like stressing out about hitting the uh, time every month, so I just had to say, you know what, I'm just gonna start scanning it and going from there. So once I did that, that's when I started moving over to having the color filter on the front of it.
2: Yeah, because I always, you know, I, I mean, independent as project, I always wondered, too, like, you, you know, because I, you know, we can we can come to the same end in, in different ways, like different yes. avenues. Right. you know if you're looking for a high contrast image like the choices available to us are use a high contrast film use a a lens in fr- or a filter in front of the lens do whatever you want you know what extent you post-process i make i i i don't have i don't have strong opinions on what other people do i don't care that's them. Right. um or to apply uh filters in the dark
0: room yeah
2: that's and I, I, that's generally I, I, what i would do if i was it, shooting for like my personal work yeah yeah so, like i needed to use more experimenting to see like what how much each of those variables really influences the end result
0: well i will tell you in my experience and this is something that i was having issues with so i when i was starting out um trying to learn shooting in the dark room and stuff. I was having a really hard time getting consistent prints. And I was talking to Bryce Randall about it and he was telling me that, you know, if you're wanting high contrast in the dark room, it's better practice to do it with your contrast filters in your enlarger versus trying to nail down a con- uh, a negative that's already high contrast uh it, yeah. you know a more flat toned image is going to be easier to print in the dark room and then you can go back and once you have that baseline you can add your contrast and you can dodge and burn those areas that you want darker and lighter whereas you can't you're going to have a harder time bringing back highlights and and you know dealing with shadows not just completely going away when you already bring a really high contrast image into the dark room and then start trying to add yeah. on top of it
2: Hmm. yeah and like for me, like i've had I've had troubles in the past with with getting my exposure times in the dark room long enough. yeah that will that will accommodate like actually using filters and dodging and burning. So I that's been a struggle for me. so I tend to do a lot of straight prints yeah um, See? or very minimal like or or to try to um, manipulate in development versus an exposure because I, I, I really struggled to get my exposures long enough. Even if I stopped down that lens to like F 22, right? My exposure time seemed to be really like really short where they just they, they, to do like a, a 20% dodge just was like one or two seconds and I, I, it didn't, it wasn't working.
0: See, I don't, I don't really go by like 20% or whatever. Uh, for me like working in the dark room can get it gets and i probably do it the most difficult Sorry. way on myself because i do it all you know i'm self-taught but essentially like my prints will usually be just a baseline around 30 minutes um for a single exposure uh and and mm. i do that by shoot you know contrast filters um and my aperture like I will usually shoot completely stop down or I'll I'll say shoot I will usually develop or expose completely stop down so that I have more time to do the dodging and burning later on I can always you know add exposure when I'm dodging or, or when I'm burning and whatnot
1: I just want to say that I'm already tired of working in the dark room by just <laughs> listening to you guys. It's so much easier just to hit the print button, you know, set it, it up really how is. you have it in your app, and then no. and then it's just stare already. at that printer wirelessly, mind you, there's no cable between the computer and the printer anymore. And just smiling as it comes out.
0: No, you know what? I'm I, I, I agree that <laughs> it is it's a lot of work for arguably not much different results with technology nowadays um but there's just something about it you know there's just something about a nice darkroom print um yeah. so it's worth it to me to to spend the time occasionally it's not something i want to do every day uh it, it was something oh. i was <laughs> doing every weekend like i was i was spending at least one night dealing with it but it's not something I'll, i i can do i can't do that anymore i don't have the time that yeah
1: No, 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 no. I think it's. I think it's an art form, Um, and I, I, I'm not. I don't have any interest in the dark room, and 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 it might change later on. I will, but right now I don't at all. But it sounds very interesting and fascinating. But it also, to me, it seems like very time consuming. But if you have the time, why not do it, right? I just don't.
2: Yeah. Time Time is fast kind of like one of my, my visions um for the next five years is to uh, open a community darkroom mm-hmm. um and and that to that to look like workshop space and working dark room and gallery space mm. um because i you know that there's there is a certain amount of, you know, let's just in straight operational costs. Like there's the hard cost of rent and utilities and liability and all of those things that, that, um, couldn't be a really big obstacle to allowing something like that to happen. And I think that the, the, the community darkroom endeavors that have been most successful have, not just been dark rooms, you know. Like there, there is shared gallery space, or there's place where they can host workshops from visiting photographers, or whatever. Like there, that is, it is a multi-use space outside of just the dark room. Um, you know, while our community continues to grow, and and like every day. I run into somebody who's like, "Oh, I remember that. I'd love to learn how. Awesome, let's have a conversation." Um, that, that's that's not an uncommon occurrence for me, and to then to be able to point them towards like a, a place where that is, they can do those things. Um, but then, like, who do you have staff at, and who do you, you know, just? so that you know there's there are legitimate viable questions we can ask about the longevity of this thing that we love Mm -hmm. and like how to make it relevant you know how do we sustain it and i think like that is for me that's the big way is to continue introducing people to the joy of (sighs) producing the dark room and i'm completely self-taught i didn't take a photography class in high school we had a dark room that was available to me, I was, I was doing the literary magazine and I was, I was doing that stuff. Like my sister did photography, took a dark room class, but like, that wasn't my thing. And now I'm like, oh shit, why didn't I do that back then?
1: There's a, uh, there is a, a place called down in san diego called uh, safe light labs the guy opened the community dark room and but he also has a studio space and i know from time to time they do gallery showings and and stuff like that and then um but he also does workshops where they do developing um he's been operational maybe for about five or six months now and seems to be going well but again you know it comes down like you know what kind of clientele you're gonna get and it's you know how much longer is this film? You know, hopefully it's for a lot longer, but realistically, how, how much longer is is this film going to is going to be viable, or or is going to be something that somebody's going to want to shoot and it's going to want to go pay money to go um, go to a place, right?
0: Right. I mean, uh, you know, it seems like it's just it's it's still catching on. I feel like we're still trending upwards right now. And I think things like the Safe Light Labs are only going to help that cause. Yeah.
2: So Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, I, I don't know. I just, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things where it, 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 it's awesome that they've only been open a few months and they're getting that that interaction you know uh who i've heard andre i think talking about them a few times
1: yeah andre's been supplying the or cinestil has been supplying them some film so people can go there and actually buy some film i think the other nice thing about it is because he's in san diego he also has the beers and camera crew there so they are also a good um a good group of folks that are help uh helping push you know, the, the community darkroom uh you know, sense. Yeah. So it, I think from time to time they may have functions there, um uh like actual meetups there as opposed to being at a bar or whatever. But um mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it you know, if there's a if there's a good group of film shooters in the area, um, you know, it, it just seems always film photography. The you feel, film photographers, they always tend to, you know, group up, you know, and support each other and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's just, you know, in this case with, um, what's his name? I think his name is Ryan. I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but the safe Light labs guy. It's Rob. Yeah. From safe Light. Ron. Yeah. It's Rob. Oh, Rob. That's right. Um, but in his case, he has that, that help from the, uh, from the San Diego crew of beers and camera to, um, to kind of, you know, give them a little bit of client, get a little bit of work, right, and that kind of stuff, Yeah, you
0: know. That's cool. So back to the Frugal Film Project, we kind of got off on a little tangent there. Um, I've, I've got a couple questions. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple questions for you <laughs> on it. Um, so how has the project been for you? Has it been an easy... Go or has it been um, like? Have you have you had months where you're just like, oh, I don't feel like dealing with this right now, or is is it just kind of like smooth sailing? Are you on autopilot
2: for it? Um, I don't know that I'm on autopilot, but my my context has changed. You know where where I was viewing the um, the deadline as this like month long thing. You know, now I, I I challenge myself to shoot a role, say, in two or three days. And that's not because of procrastination, right? Um, yeah. And it has been. But for me, I think it's more about, um, like, it, it adds another element of challenge to it. You know, how many times have, have, have we seen it in the Facebook group or just in conversation with ourselves to be like, Oh, if I only had more time to shoot, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you know? And so there, there's something like there's something really just like to get, to get into the discipline of going out over lunch or, you know, like taking a walk in the middle of the day and walking two or three blocks and finding say, okay, today. I'm going to, and this is a, this is a, a game that I play with my nephew when whenever we're out on a photo walk, like when we're out on vacation, is you know, like we it's they're like theme shoots, you know? It's like okay, find things with um, in in multiples of three, or we're only going to shoot red doors, and right. what makes it really engaging for him is that he gets to choose, he gets to choose what the thing is, and then we go and shoot it. We give ourselves an hour.
0: Okay. I mean that's a good way to go about it. It's like it's kind of like uh, having a you're giving yourself a mini deadline, you know, so that you don't have to worry about yeah. the overarching deadline.
2: Yeah, and it just it, you know it's it's not even not I don't even really think about it as deadline. It just it's it's within um, there's an objective beyond just finishing the role.
0: Right. And, and I think that's awesome because it kind of gives you it it adds to that motivation. Uh, for it makes you want to shoot that role more so than you know i had it, it was all fun for me i was kind of doing the same thing you know i was the first month i just was excited to shoot and then the second month i was like i'm gonna try street photography so i walked i was out with my cannon and the third month i was like i'm only gonna shoot at work events and then well you know shooting at a work event caused me to fall and you know, break my camera, so mm-hmm. I had to swap to another camera, yeah. and then I, I couldn't hardly put pressure on my foot, so that was like two and a half weeks where I couldn't really get out and shoot, and I and then the next month is like, okay, cool, I've got a fresh new camera, I'm excited again. This is let's get this back on track, and then it was, um, oh shit, what am I gonna do what, yeah. this month? You know, um, and then uh, then it's just kind of been like trying to get myself motivated to get back into the project now um, and find things to shoot. And I kind of – I have don't know uh, – I've kind of been trending more towards shooting a ton of scooters in Atlanta. Like, that seems to be all I shoot on that camera anymore is scooters. Um, <laughs> but it's been kind of fun. I well,
2: think I'm going to – his shopping carts.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think I'm going to end up doing something outside of the project with all those pictures of the scooters. Um and it's been kind of fun, and that's kind of invigorated my my shooting of the project is like it's like a hunt now when I'm out working
2: um yeah just to try to it's I keep that camera with it, me every day, yeah, and I'd love to you know I'd love to see some um conclusion to it that includes like the zine right yeah you know like I know that that's i know that's something that we're working towards right in that. And I think you know um, to produce something in the end beyond the experience of shooting a single film stock and an inexpensive camera. Like, well, that that is its own reward. There's there's a greater like there's a greater satisfaction for me in that it it's completed with some fanfic, like some there's a, a way to wrap it all up together right. that says this is a project that we all worked on for a full year. Let's celebrate that accomplishment with really being able to present this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: the the thing about it is I don't think like we started off and I, I was like, you know, this is, as, this would make a cool zine. And I've kind of taken charge over the whole zine aspect of it, um, and I was like, okay, well, we'll just do everybody's two favorites from the month or whatever. And then it's like, okay, no, let's just drop down to one because that's still over a hundred and twenty photos in the. That's a large zine, uh, yeah. you know, and that's that's if if, if that's gonna be an undertaking you know and if we if we do make it like a zine or something i think yeah. it's probably gonna have to be one of the, something where we like put it on MagCloud and let you know the people purchase it but i or or i can make the pdf and you know push it out to everybody and let people do what they will with it um but like i was thinking about that, that's i haven't seen many zines that are a hundred and twenty-five images, you know, through it, you know, most people try to stick to like 45, 50 and, you know, that's two photographers in the project are putting out that many images.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, (coughs) you know, I I think some of that comes from, we have this, you know, I think each of us have this idea of what it, what a zine should look like. Right. Yeah. You know, And I think you and I are about, actually we're, we're all about probably around the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know. What are you talking like about? I'm early...
1: 21. Huh? What are you talking about? I'm 21. <laughs>
2: Shut it, old man. I know. Uh, <laughs> that you know, we have this like early 90s idea of like the zine, right? That it's got to be self-produced, and you got to be like it's like super emo and punk, and you know, like that 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 is what a zine was. And right. and I think that that framework is carried forward yeah. you know and so you know at one point great philosophical question right like when does a zine stop being a zine and when does it become a photo book well that's 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 kind of an academic discussion but why you know maybe by calling it the, the end project something other than a zine elevates it in everybody's mind Maybe, yeah. maybe not like words matter
0: yeah, I, that's uh, that's what I was thinking. Is like, I think of, at the end of the project, you know, it's, sometimes it's like pulling... It seems like Sherry has to pull teeth to get people to follow through with certain aspects of the project. And I think I would like... I, I, I say, I, you know, obviously, we're going to put it to the group to just, you know, decide whatever. But I think it would be nice to have a page... In each book, just like a photo of, like, have people take at least one selfie throughout the project on the film, and then whether it be their six that they choose for the month or not, um, but have them take one selfie and have, like, that picture in the book with, like, a brief statement from that photographer of, like, how the project was for them. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that would be a really cool addition in you know like the back of the book because there's only 14 of us uh or 13 of us now um I, I, you know that's just an idea uh, I haven't really put it out there yet but I think you know obviously now that it's out there it's probably something I should post up in there but um you know as far as zine goes I think it, it, it's more yeah well it's more like a um icing on the cake top or cherry on the cake situation you know
2: yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, I, it, you know, I, I think what's for me, what's been um, most exciting about it is looking at it and see, like, we all approach it from different, not just in the subject matter, right? Like, certainly what catches your eye is going to be different from what catches my eye, which is different with, from Sherry and from Sam and everybody who else is a part of the group, you know, and is involved in the project, Um But how we approach the work, you know, like the the task of shooting that 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 role every month. And, you know, I I I like to challenge myself in in ways that, you know, are less deadline driven because I mean, I mean, my my whole life is dictated by deadlines. When this needs to go to this client, when this needed, when this needs to go for internal review, when I need to do this, when I need to do that, like any opportunity that I can lessen the impact of deadlines, I welcome it.
3: Yeah,
2: and I recognize that, like without deadlines, my life is, you know, just caught in the wind, and 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 that's not effective. Yeah, sorry. Well, you're getting all like the life coaching stuff and you're getting it all
0: yeah that's what we're here for man people people think that we're just a bunch of a bunch of jokesters over here who you know just want to cuss a lot and and <laughs> make crack jokes but you know we like to we like to sneak up behind you and hit you with some knowledge <laughs> hit, you, hit exactly. you with some real stuff out of nowhere not, you know you, you come for the jokes and you stay for the good stuff. There you go. So we're starting to run long, um, but we—I still have a couple questions, Ed. I I don't even think we've given you much of a chance to talk tonight. Um, Do you? Do you have? Here's your chance, Ed. Okay, I'm just gonna put it out there. If you got anything to say, say it now, because you're not getting to talk again the rest of the night.
1: (laughs) 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 Um. I'm trying to think what I wanna say.
0: Um, All right, oh, no, get that out was here. really good. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um,
1: no, I'm good, man. I'm just trying to uh there's just so much information coming coming through these uh headphones right now. Yeah. Um,
0: no, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. And then you know, I didn't get a chance to be part of the of that project and I think it, you know, I think I, I it, it would have been fun. Yeah. for sure um but yeah you putting that zine together that you know and just trying to figure out the right number of images and you know um laying out and all that stuff you know that's that's going to be some some work there
0: we'll see yeah what, what i've done with it so far is i've just got a folder and a, a file in lightroom and the way everything works is like we work through my Dropbox, um, that it's getting, everything gets uploaded to my Dropbox and Sherry just has access to my Dropbox. So there's a folder and the way it works is like everybody's got their, a folder with their name in the thing. And then each one's got a month in it. Um, and you drop your photos in that month. Well, inside each one of those is a label for favorite. So what at the end is going to happen is, The favorites from each of those are going to get pulled, and it's going to get the way it's going to be laid out is just kind of like start to finish. You know, Um, I think I'll probably go alphabetical order in the book just because that makes the most sense, Um, and then it's just going to be favorites: January, February, March, April, May, all the way through. So that that part of it is not really like going to be the hard part. It's I think like aesthetic of the book and like. Flares, or where you know we're gonna have decisions to make, because I feel like layout yeah. and that kind of stuff is already kind of built into the project itself, and we're just doing one image per month for each photographer.
1: And there was how many?
0: Um, it started off with fourteen, and I think one of them has fallen out of the project, so thirteen. Yeah, I okay. think. Uh...
1: You know, I should send you. I should send you a copy of these zines. It's called uh, Purpose Magazine that I was part of um, with a guy on Twitter. Um, And he did something similar, and it's – you know, there's a lot of pages to it. So maybe in the next week or so I'll I'll, I'll ship you out that stuff so you can take a look at it. All right. Yeah, just to give you ideas.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, it's no hurry. We've still got six months until this project is over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: So, well, in that case, let me browse through it first before I send
0: you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a it, it's like a um, it's like, it's a project that that's building on itself. The zine is like it's it's not like a got to get this done now sort of situation. Like as people yeah, add I to try. that favorites folder, like I will pull their I pull their photo out or whatever and add it to the January to the February whatever. Okay. Um. Okay, so we've we've touched on that. Let's real quick. We've talked a good at length about this twenty two thirty eight project um how so you and actually the two of you and michael are going to be doing a 2238 project how did the or podcast for the project how did this come about i know originally michael had talked about wanting to turn it into a podcast but how did you two knuckleheads get wrangled into it
1: um i think just by association (laughs) <laughs> just by association so um yeah i i don't know i think yeah i think it's just you know we just started talking about 2238 and stuff and then um i mean i think this was right before i i came on with you guys on a uh on a more permanent basis and stuff like that and we had been talking and stuff and um but i just i i love the film and I like what he's doing. He's he's a great guy and stuff and you know, I'm generous with with uh, everything he's doing with this uh, film and stuff and mm-hmm. you know, I just want to be part of it. It's just a lot of positive positivity happening. So I just said, yeah, you know, I'm a sucker. Plus I like talking. So kind of. Well, <laughs> I don't talk much here obviously because you talk a lot, but I do like talking. <laughs> Not that bad.
0: Sorry. Uh,
1: that came out <laughs>
0: no, no, I, I, it's okay. I know what you mean. I do yeah, talk a lot. Yeah,
1: I, I like talking about uh, photography and and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I don't I don't get too touchy feely about you know my experiences with photography, but but I like hearing everybody else's because you know maybe maybe it'll spark something in me to to start feeling that way. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's that's kind of where it started. I was just I was just there when he start putting it together in his mind so we're bouncing ideas um jason i have no idea how he he wrangled you into this i don't know if you want to share i,
2: I think it's much the same way i mean you know that. um you know it's it, this is like what what excites me about social media in general is that there's there are really there are friendships that have, that emerge like for all the bullshit that happens on yeah Facebook and Instagram and where whatever corner of the internet you know you spend your time like there's some really great conversations and friendships mm-hmm. that develop out and yeah then, like that's that's you know Michael and I I think like there was there was a natural affinity that started to like just happen like we we kind of have the same kind of warped sense of humor at times and you know we we fire shots across each other's <laughs> bow all day long right. just and it seemed natural that that would happen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, around this film stock i think like what's good what really interests me in in this series of discussions and i'll leave, i'll frame it that way because i don't know i don't know if it will how it how or if it will live beyond discussions interviews with participants in the project that initial wave um right. or if it will just be this self-contained thing that has a finite start and a finite end and then it go when we all go on to our next thing i don't know yeah. um but you know what what it really excites me about this is that there's in the same way that we were talking about the frugal film project everybody's has their own perspective and and why they're interested in this particular film stock like you know there's a really interesting cross-section you have those who have tested the hell out of this stuff who have done, you know, splitting roles into six frame strips and doing multiple um multiple developers and really kind of understanding how the film, you know, with the the unique character that it has. They got nerdy and with there, it. Yeah. And then there's like the you know, the kind of like bell curve, right? Like the the those the, in the middle that kind of are just like, we're excited about um you know, having access to a new suck and we're approaching it perhaps for more from a, an, an aesthetic consideration. And then right. on the other side, like on the other side is those who are just super jazzed about experiment mm-hmm. and, and not, not experimenting in the testing way, but just <clears throat> going out and shooting and seeing what they get. Right. And, and like I think that's, what's going to be really interesting in, you know, as we go through these series of, of interviews is to get this cross section, you know, that everybody's approaching really different and unique ways um, within the container of a single film stock. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's such an interesting film stock as well, that you kind of ha- get to see the photographers come through the film as well, because it for what it is it everybody seems to get their own unique look out of it it's not like a lot of other film stocks where like you can shoot it and it's going to look similar for the most part with whoever's shooting it but there are some people where i don't know how they get the what they're shooting with that film you know and, and then there's others where I, you know you you're you're just blown away by how unique it looks. It's it's such an interesting mm-hmm. film on top of everything else along with the cool project around it and and you know the community that has kind of been built around this film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'm a little hyperbolic about <laughs> this, but I I have never seen a film um where it's it's functional ISO range is so dependent on how it's developed. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really like, is. I just, I, I'm, there may be other ones out there. I just I, they're not in my awareness. I don't. I don't. I have. I haven't shot them. But that's what's really like what I find most fascinating about it. And and you know Michael's initial results like super thin in in DF ninety six when I was shooting it at twenty five. But like oh look it works at six. Right we're like wait a minute it's the same film it should right. not be that different right
0: that's all you just developed it in d96 how did you like how did you like the way it come
2: out i i i have only shot one role in d96 and so what i'm seeing i'm really pleased with yeah um it does seem to have tamed the contrast a little bit
0: yes yes
2: you know, and and my tendency is often to shoot high contrast scenes anyhow, so I'm not really doing myself any favors. Um, but it does seem to have tamed the contrast a bit. And I'm, you know, there were a couple moments where, in earlier roles, I had a really successful development with hc 110 and then I had a couple like, couple dogs, mm. um, the old stock from from. <coughs> warehouse notwithstanding but like i had a couple that was like what happened
3: <laughs>
2: you know like it was this is this actually the right film and it was just the first time i shot a role of 2238 was from matt melcher um and i shot it in the, in the, the horizon that i was borrowing and what struck me and i and if i recall i did a stand development in HP 110 and what struck me is the emulsion side of the film, when you'd look at it in the light, um, reminded me of oil on water. Oh, like it had this kind okay. of like, this like fluorescent sheen. And I yeah. was like, I have never seen yeah, yeah. an emulsion react that way. That it was just, and when I first, the very first roll that I pulled out, I was like, oh shit, this looks like a fixer problem. You know, it looked like I hadn't fixed long enough because yeah. there was just... Not what? a not a like a stain, but there was just something that that was very different. Yeah, I know exactly uh, what you're talking sure about. It, when, I on the, on the, when I put it on the on the flatbed scanner and pulled it in, and I was like, "Holy cow! Look at all of this shadow detail!" When I thought this is gonna like this is just gonna doff, like this is not gonna look great at all.
0: I think I have a theory on why the film is the way it is, like why it has that effect, because we're so used to seeing film on a tinted film base yeah there's no there's no light <clears throat> reflected back through this clear base and I, I think that's why we're, we, you know we just see through it we don't have that that little bump of contrast behind it it's just like the images you're, you're just
2: looking straight through it yeah mm-hmm yeah I get that did, have you have you did either of two experience that like kind of like oil slick? yeah It was so strange the first time I saw
0: it. Yeah, I knew exactly what you... Because I had that on my first roll that I developed with it. Um, I noticed that too. And and I completely fudged that roll. It it was awful. I didn't get a single image worth saving on it. But my second roll was fantastic. And I developed it in D96.
1: I'm going to have to get your times for D96. I just picked up some packs.
0: Okay. Um,
2: Uh, I did eight minutes
0: i think i did seven and a half yeah i think i did seven and a half okay at 70 degrees
2: yeah so shit and split the difference and do so and do 745 there you go i would you know i
1: will um and and by the way i did send i i sent today a few rolls of that 2238 to beer oh nice Um, oh sweet yeah because i want i at least my goal or my hope is that if she shoots it, we give her some times and stuff, I can kinda of point her to Bardisek and the project that they're doing and hopefully get some um you know just Lomography loves stories like this and and people doing this kind of stuff. So, you know, just yeah. kinda of get some light on, on the guy and that kind of stuff. So
0: Yeah.
1: So we'll see. See if we can make that work.
0: I hope it does. I hope it works out. Yeah. Cinder Go ahead and add her to that group so she'll see developing times and stuff and it's what she yep. can expect out of it. I think her um, her little side project, the sidewalk side, would look pretty nice on
1: 2230. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her CL recently took a dump, but I think she's getting it fixed.
0: Oh, God, that sucks. I should have sent her that um, CL that was for sale, the ad for it in Atlanta. I did. Yeah.
1: I did. As soon as I saw her uh, IG post about it, I'm like, oh, hey, Dustin found this for me, but I'm going to send it to you. So. <laughs> um,
0: so you mentioned testing cameras. Real quick, um, you have been working with your friend who owns a photography store, I guess, camera store, um, and they have been letting you try out some cameras recently, it seems. Um, yeah so first how did you talk them into that um mm-hmm. and what cameras have you tried so far and are there any cameras at the shop that you're just like itching to get your hands on that they won't let you
1: ladies and gentlemen this is the gas
0: yeah, yeah uh, it's wild
2: so the 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 shop is a partnership between an existing camera store is the camera store of york Okay. And then, um, Michael, um, who is on Instagram and eBay as retro photo York, um, uh, retro camera York, excuse me. Um, and he's done, he, he sells almost exclusively on eBay, but they, they came into a partnership over the last year where, um, you know, Chris at the camera center of York is an incredibly experienced repair tech. Um, the dude is like Google, you know, like you, you walk in with a um, with a bum camera and you describe the problem and he can almost always identify exactly what's happening. Not just in a gross like, oh, the the lever is not working, but knows down to which gear inside the linkage and, and the the nuance of that particular camera model of what's happening. Gotcha, and and it's just incredible. So, but Mike is, uh, you know, kind of travels all over um, to collectors and you know people who are liquidating collections or you know other other um, dealers, and so he's getting some really wild stuff. Um, You know, old Linhof dry plate cameras, which I'm really itching to try. Um, A ton of Leicas um they have right now this one um is just astounding so they've got an un, uh, an m4 um with a with a busted shutter curtain um without a serial number and what they suspect it is is that it, this was a prototype that was released before production hmm. um if that is the case, and it's verified as a actual prototype because it doesn't have a serial number, that camera is potentially worth upwards of a million dollars.
0: Man, oh shit! Yeah, oh, man,
2: just for the for the collector, like the collector abil- collectability of it. Um, and the rarity of it so mike really deals in in a lot of leica and and a lot of rolly you know it's he has amassed a personal collection and no serial numbers and what's what's rare based on the, the the runs um you know this is pre-1 million and so this this is in this particular factory this is came out of this came out of canada this is kind of germany and and it, it's, it's just astounding, like, the knowledge that he has um, in what he's working with. So, you know, he's dealing with old Sumacron lenses and, you know, old Zeiss glass and Aero Ektars, like some of the um, aerial systems. You know, this is this the front element on some of these lenses is 10 to 12 inches because this is a camera that would have been mounted on a plane wow it just i mean it's amazing some of the stuff that he gets so what have i what has he let me borrow i borrowed the horizon from him which you know is it was super fun um if i could remember to keep my damn finger out of the frame (laughs) yep Yep. getting a panty asses every time i would like just the top of my knuckle would be in the bottom right hand corner of the of the image
0: Uh...
2: um yeah and that was i found that i found that camera really challenging to frame because if you weren't looking at it through the viewfinder straight on your perspective would shift enough that you, you weren't getting an accurate 120 view okay and so it became difficult to frame the edges on um, because that like that front the viewfinder's curved and it throws the perspective gotcha. so the horizon um, most recently just took back the GS645s um you know what you, like as a camera i really enjoyed using um and i realized it just wasn't for me okay like i was really jazzed about shooting it i love shooting it's a great like the super sharp lens um is a little delicate right ed
1: oh the you're talking about the one with the bar in front
0: of it
2: yeah with the roll bar yeah i never liked that one i yeah. like the
1: lens but i didn't like that one
0: have you guys <clears> shot <throat> the one that pop? That's the one that has the version that has a pop-out lens, too, right?
2: Well, there's yeah, there's that that series. There was the the wide which is a fixed 60 millimeter f4, and then there was the folder which had a 75. 75, right. I yeah, always wanted the, the 75,
1: but I was always worried about the folder itself.
2: Um okay. this I the one that I shot was the the fixed 60 wide yeah uh, which great glass fantastic glass but for some Mm -hmm. unknown reason Fujika had the metal um lens barrel and where it attached to the body of the camera was plastic so -hmm. if there was any side impact to that lens it would just throw it out of whack and you'd like You'd see that in the viewfinder um, with the rangefinder assembly, it would, the rangefinder patch would jump. So, like, if you, if you were, um, you know, catching focus, you would, you'd turn, you'd turn the lens um, to focus, and the range patch would hang for a second, and then it would jump into place.
1: Mm-hmm
2: yeah but yes, yep. that that like that roll bar was a way to protect against that it's side impact that's one thing to know about that camera if you're interested in one to so check out the rangefinder assembly and if there's any jumpiness it's likely because the lens has been bumped um and they're just they're challenging to fix mm. yep also uh, I borrowed over the head yeah uh, also check out like the
1: where that metal bar connects on that on the plastic end um the one that i got had a crack in it and yeah. uh, that that just caused all kinds of crepola so the yeah. very sensitive.
2: that i loved shooting with that camera um once i got used to all of the 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 shutter aperture and focusing are stacked on the lens barrel and so it's just a question of like knowing where your fingers fall okay I'm, this cuz it's really easy to sh- to to bump it out of um out of your intended aperture because you think you're on the on the focusing uh, on the focusing ring so they're stacked yeah so it was just a it was a question of like finding like where that is but it, they they've got some really amazing stuff um he's just had and and I'm not an SLR guy but he just had some amazing pentax 67s um in like all three models from the six, seven, the six by seven, and then the six, seven, two.
3: Hmm.
2: And they're, they're gorgeous. I mean, they were beautiful. So the value that he adds is when he's getting these cameras in, um, he'll take them to Chris to do like CLA's and, and repairs. And so when you're buying used equipment from him, you're buying minty stuff. Gotcha. Mm. They do they still...
1: do repairs there too, or is it just a cameras what that they do they do repairs
2: there too or is it just yeah oh. yeah yeah i mean he's uh any <laughs> any any camera I get a hold of i take it into them just to take a, take a once over on and he still has a um he's doing black and white c forty one ne e six processing um through the machines. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah those exactly. kind of places you want to support. Developed so can... my own. That's where I took everything to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely is the kind of place that you want to support and yeah. feed your money into. Yep. Well, yeah. Rad. yeah, so everybody go yeah. check them out if you're in the area. Uh, okay, last thing. That I wanted to talk to you about, because this is something that was almost, but never actually came to be for myself, and that is Canon rangefinders. Um, I've talked before about different cameras that I was looking for, um, you know, like when when Johnny was on and we were talking about the Konica and the Bessa and, um. Whatever, all those. What we didn't talk about were the Canon, um, the P's and the VT's and all that. And those seem to be Mm -hmm. your bread and butter. You, uh, Mm um, how you you haven't been (coughs) shooting them too terribly long, though, right?
2: No, I got the P, uh, about a year ago. Probably actually a little less than that. Um, and, you know, I had like the, my, my first rangefinder was the QL 17.
0: Yep. Yep. Got one of those. And that's,
2: that was, that was my daily driver for, you know, from the minute that I bought it until I got my P. Um, and I, you know, I shot the, I had a Zorky 4K, which was, you know, kludgy and, you know, Let's just say that the the, the Russian rangefinders are unique. Yeah. Um, big thing to remember with them is that the way that the shutter, um, the the film advance and the and the shutter linkage are are together, that if you change the shutter speed before you advance the film, um, you could wind up with a paperweight. Like there's a pin that can shear off inside that assembly. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very important that if you have a Russian rangefinder, whether it's a Fed or a Zorky or any of those variations, that you advance the film first before you sh- set the shutter speed. Make any adjustments to the shutter speed because it's one of those, like, it's the lift and turns.
0: Gotcha. So uh-huh. you snap it
2: off and you're done. Yeah, and and it's just, at that point, it's Worthless, and they're you know they're really inexpensive. So if you break it, you can locate another one pretty inexpensively.
3: Right.
2: Um, with the like Indistar fifty three five. That's the good. pancake lens, right? It's a. It's not the pancake, but it's pretty low profile. Okay. Um. It's. I about pancakes. Yeah, that one's weird because the aperture setting on the lens is nestled in against the front element and you almost have to get in there with a thumb and turn it Gotcha. Uh, as opposed to like an out, like a, a ring on the outside of the barrel. Right. Uh, yeah. So Canon range is the P was the first one that I got and love like super bright frame lines, 35, 50, hundred millimeter, um, recessed rewind. Um, like top dial, like normal, the the Canon had it has been doing had been doing rangefinders uh, to compete with Leicas from like the Leica three, you know, and so like their their um, design aesthetic like very closely copied Leica, and right. it, the P was the really was the first one where they s- kind of like stepped out on their own because of the bright frame lines. Um, the back door opens as opposed to like a bottom loader, like on the older Leicas. The older, some of the old Canon rangefinders actually still have that, um, and then the recessed film rewind is actually really neat. Um, and then I got the seven. Seven has the like it. It almost has the viewfinder that's um, very similar to the M three, like big and bright. Um, Rivals the M2, M3 Viewfinder And then the VT Is my newest one Um, And they're all like a thread mount So I roll with a 51.8 and a 31.8 The Serenar, the the Canon lenses Mm -hmm. Uh, And they just I switch it between the bodies Would you say like a thread mount You mean the 39 or just the M It's the 39 Okay yeah it's the, the the screw mount
1: yeah yeah okay yeah i'm not very familiar with the different names but thank you
2: yeah so serenar was the um is like canon's house gotcha. brand for lenses um and they're really affordable and super sharp like it's at wide open you get a little fall off you get a little vignetting at 35 wide mm-hmm. open
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: um but they're, they're sharp corner to corner.
0: Yeah, I was looking at getting one of those um, when I ended up sticking to my... I say sticking. I ended up picking up the 35mm um, F2.5 color scope R from Voigtlander for my BESA, but I was looking hardcore at Johnny's um, recommendation, the cannons. They're um, just...
2: They're really just well designed. They're understated, and you know, like you can buy some pretty minty copies from Japanese sellers for under two hundred bucks.
0: Right, you're talking about the lenses.
2: Oh, I'm talking about bodies. Oh
0: wow, really? Is that just bodies or bodies with lenses?
2: Um, it varies. You know, like body body lens. Um, you might be looking at maybe two fifty to three, depending on the model. Um, but these are really plentiful and beautiful. Um yeah, I just I love rangefinders. like they just they they work with the way that I shoot. Um and and, and I had to be very intentional about not shoehorning rangefinders into only being street cameras, only being for documentary slash, um, photojournalist slash street photography style stuff that I've you know taken them out to do travel to do landscape to do some unconventional usage of them to really pu- prove to myself that they're capable of doing that and there's times when I'm like yeah I could probably use a SLR here and I've got one I have a Canon FTB that really I keep around for my wife because she likes to shoot it occasionally
0: yeah, I, my wife shoots the either the Minolta or my her AE-1 program, whatever. Um Yeah, I do the same thing though. I shoot my um Besa pretty much all situations. It's 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 become my go-to my most enjoyed camera and just because you know, rangefinders have just gotten they're easier for me to shoot at this point when when I wear glasses and stuff than mm-hmm. an SLR. Um Okay, so all that said, which one, if somebody was thinking, like, right now, like, oh, man, he's kind of talked me into checking this out. Which one would you recommend for as far as a body for them to go pick up and, and check out? Cannon P. The P?
2: The P, yeah. Um, and I like what Johnny said is that the P is every bit as capable and really was designed as the direct competitor to the M2 hmm. for a fraction of the cost. Yeah, exactly. That's that's
0: exactly how I describe my R2A. It is just as capable as an M7 for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. It's got all I the mean don't features. get me wrong, Plus. I'd
2: love to I'd love to own a Leica um, probably an M2 because I shoot 35 frame lines a lot, um, and I don't have that kind of scratch right now. You know, like there, there is there is better use of those funds than to, and I and I don't take away I don't take away from that experience. Like I enjoy rangefinders, especially the canons. Like that is the camera that I'm. Those are the 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 style. And the overall aesthetic and the layout of those cameras just—I know so well that they are—they are the extension of my arm in a way that no other camera that I shoot has ever been. Right? Um, is that inherent to that camera? No. Um. But they work really well for me.
0: Yeah, they are gorgeous cameras. That is for sure. Um, I've—I've I've never gotten my hands on. A P or any of them. The only Canon rangefinder I have to judge is my QL17, which the rangefinder, you know, has been found wanting. Uh, and mm-hmm. especially with my my Bessa, my Bessa has
2: do what? It's a great sharp lens.
0: Oh yeah, the lens is fantastic. It's just the rangefinder is not so much. <laughs> mm. Um, and it might just need to be cleaned and whatnot. Um, I just and and to be fair, uh, it it was a, it's an amazing, amazing ca- uh, camera. I just once I got my Voigtlander, like I've not seen frame lines as bright as the Voigtlanders. Like they stand out in complete darkness. They're so bright. Um. Mm. So not he's,
2: really. He's pretty. Close. Do what? The frame lines in the P are pretty damn close. Yeah. So, they're really big.
0: yeah well, so it, what
1: what frame lines are there inside the P
2: uh, 35 50 and a hundred
1: thank you for the gas
2: yeah <laughs> now there I would uh, my ideal if I was gonna design a canon rangefinder that would have existed 40 50 years ago mm-hmm. it would have had the bright frame lines of the P with the switchable frame lines of the 7. So the 7 actually has switchable frame lines. The P just has them all in the same uh, field of view. And they're very clearly marked. So they're not, they're, there's, you're not going to mistake a 50 for a 35. Um, but the switchable frame lines is a, is a nice nice add-on. And the 7 has a um, a selenium meter. But P what does, does not the P have, have? I don't. It doesn't have P one. Does. No, no. The the P is the P does not have a meter. Um, and I actually found a little cult selenium meter that can slide into the um, hot shoe. Um, or I just carry my Zeconic L 308s Yeah,
0: a lot of people get the little Voitlander um, light meter that slides into the top, also to
2: go on older rangefinders. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then you nope. see the, the, the VT with the accessory um, uh, viewfinder. Part of the reason that I use that is of the three Canon rangefinder bodies that I have, the VT has the smallest, dimmest rangefinder patch. <coughs> um, and it it, it it one it needs a cleaning, and it's just you know just the way it was designed. There was much smaller comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um. So I find it easier to use the an accessory viewfinder to frame, and it was a giant pain in the ass the first like week I had it. Like I had to train myself to go frame, focus, reframe, shoot, and just sort of switch my eyes from the viewfinder that's in the um, that I had on the shoe into the rangefinder, back to the to the shoe viewfinder. Gotcha. And that's you don't have to do that. I just find it easier on my eyes.
0: Cool. So now we know what Ed's gonna be purchasing for next week's show. So we'll know, how, <laughs> we'll know what to talk about. No, no,
1: no, no. I, you know, here's the thing though. I I remember seeing these when I was looking at rainfinders, you know, to get lenses and that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking, man, these things are old. I mean, you know, I I didn't know anything. Right, so right. then I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just gonna get something with the fixed lens, and that way I don't have to worry about, you know, going into getting some lens gas and all the other crap that comes along with this with this stuff. So, um, but it, you know, uh, you know, I, I have the fixed lens rangefinders, but I don't have like a pure. I would consider a pure rangefinder where you can just, you know, toss in a 35, then put a 50, and that kind of stuff. But then again, I got all these SLRs. So. But yeah.
2: I'm still looking.
1: Don't, oh, trust me, buddy. I'll be hitting you up for sure.
2: Oh, they're beautiful cameras, <laughs> man. I just, I love them. I really do. Um, oh, one thing I will say about the P the P had um, the shutter curtain is um, metal, and it's not uncommon to find copies that are wrinkled. Um, and the typical what would happen is somebody would be like loading film and they press their thumb down and oh. wrinkle the shutter. Mm.
3: Um,
2: purely an aesthetic thing. It, it will not affect image quality or the function of the camera. It's purely aesthetic. Um, and it's if you happen to come across a P with an unwrinkled shutter, grab it up. If only because it's in such great condition. Okay. Uh, but know that. If you if you find them with with wrinkles, that's just that's fairly common.
1: Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'll probably send you links before I, I I hit the the buy now button or whatever, <laughs> just to make sure that just to make sure that that you know, hey, this this passes the um, the JK uh, t- um, <laughs> e.
2: the stamp of approval. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. He's a pretty thing. Hey, but I, today I did get my, um, I did get my, QL17, the the rangefinder and the glass cleaned. Uh, nice. I, yeah, I got a, a buddy of mine that I bought some uh, developing reels from, and he's all like, "Hey, um, you know, I can clean your glass real quick." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, it doesn't take that much." So when I met up with him, he came with his little cleaning kit. So uh, maybe that's all you need. There, uh, Dustin, and get your your rangefinder cleaned, and then because it, it to me now it looks it looks super clear, and I'm like, so now I'm second guessing my process of selling it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, So
2: And you gotta love that QL system. Mm. It's so money.
0: Yeah, it I have, it's a gorgeous little um, camera. I have the little flash that goes along with it, and that's such a cool little flash too yep yep right on so i think we've kind of hit a natural place to start wrapping up um yeah we've been going pretty long so (laughs) um yeah that said jason um who is your instagram highlight tonight
2: so my instagram highlight is my buddy scott um he is largely responsible for getting me into rangefinders. Um, met him at the local shop, so he's tattooed underscore film shooter on the instas. Loves old cars and old buildings, so that's you'll see a lot of that in his uh, in his feed. And
0: that's tattooed underscore
2: film shooter.
0: Film shooter.
1: Oh, oh right. Yeah. A... Oh nice.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's got some really, really great work there. Very cool. Me, um... And we kind of have this history of um trading cameras, like he'll sell it to Mike and then I will borrow it and maybe eventually buy it and there's they, they they kind of flow through. Hmm. So the GS, the GS six four five that I borrowed was originally Scott's camera.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Right on. Let's see.
0: All right. So, Ed, that brings us to you. Who are you trying okay. to highlight tonight?
1: Um. You go first.
0: Ready? <laughs> <laughs> you aren't ready. <laughs> That's all right, that's all right. Um, Okay, so my photographer that I'm going to highlight tonight, um, his account is Samba, S-A-M-B-U-H. It's uh, Sam Stroud. He has, like, he does black and white and color, and it's all formats. Um, I want to say he shoots a Hasselblad 500C, a Pentax, a Crown Graphic, a Leica, all kinds of cool stuff um but his composition is what really drew me to his page um if you start looking at like some of he's got pictures like landscape photos he's got pictures of like old broken down cars old gas stations old motels Uh, he's got portraits but like his composition is just super super amazing and i think he's a professional wedding photographer Um, so it makes sense that he's got like this eye for composition, because if you're doing it for a living, of course you're training that eye, but, uh, he's got a great way with color and composition and, uh, contrast. It's not like overly contrasty, but there is still enough to like draw your eye to certain places. Um, he's a, he's a really great photographer. So go check out Samba and, uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. It's all square format yeah. on his page.
2: I'm on his feed now and some of his some but not all of his black and white work um reminds me of some of, well, of Michael Kenna. Yeah, okay, I can totally see that. So in just like a very minimalist composition. Yeah, it's um it,
0: he, he's good I, like i i he was my pick last week um and i kind of belled on him last minute for analog nights because i saw the analog Nights page and I was like these guys are rad i need to give them a shout out um but i was like i'm gonna go back to to sam because that his work is really good and he deserves he's got a bunch of followers don't don't like i'm not acting like he's got like no followers and we're trying to like <laughs> should give the guy some love but like for real go check out his work because it is inspiring and he it does so well with composition.
1: All right. Nice. Make sure I got him written down. So I'm writing notes down this time. Cause I can Justin. So
0: I'll just, uh, <laughs> <Justin>. hopefully,
1: uh... <laughs> I mean, Dustin, sorry, man.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, okay. I think,
1: I think I concentrate better when I'm in the car.
0: You, you might. <laughs> That's just a canned response. I'm so used to hearing Justin. That's just a canned response. I'm not like aggravated or anything
3: not yet.
0: <clears throat> <laughs>
1: All right. So, so my uh, see, my highlight is my buddy Julian Ortiz. He's a, uh, a film photographer out of the D.C. area. Uh, I met him a couple of years ago when I was in D.C. for a conference and. He took me around the uh, city to go do some shooting and stuff and he mostly does black and white but I ha- I guess I haven't seen his page in a while and he's popping in some color from time to time which is uh uh normally not what he does but uh his black and white work is just awesome and he is just documenting the streets of DC um I mean everywhere he goes he works for the uh, I think he still works for the uh the argentinian government so he works for the MD there um so he's able to walk around and just um he's always using the subways and that kind of stuff and man he's just he's really just capturing the life around dc you know um around the white house area the, the monuments and all that stuff and yeah so but yeah he was gracious enough to we met up one evening well one afternoon and we went shooting until like Ten or eleven at night, so it was uh, it was awesome. So, yeah, my buddy Julian Ortiz cool. is my highlight. Go check him out. Definitely like his stuff. Follow his. Follow him. Yep.
0: Okay. Done. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of the show. Um, so I guess Ed, since you're already talking, go ahead and let everybody know where they can get in touch with you or find you or. Check out your work.
1: Yeah. So you can check out my stuff at the usual spot, which is on Instagram at Edward Conde underscore. Um, also drop us a note on Grainy Days Oh damn it. What's our what's our IG?
0: Grainy underscore days <laughs> underscore podcast. There you days go. with a Z always.
1: Day with the Z, always. Um, we're we're keeping that thing up to date. And uh we see everyone who tags us on there, so thank you for tagging us and you know we're i'm going trying to work on a way that we can get a little bit more interactive with the with those folks that do use our hashtag and um you know when they post their images and that kind of stuff, so we can give some love back, so I'm just trying to figure out how what's the best method to do that and then and then go for yeah. go for it
0: yeah, sounds good. We'll figure something out yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: I've been thinking about maybe like us starting one of those, um, or whatever they call it and use it to, um, buy like film and stuff to
2: give away and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. You
2: you, you have to do the, the, the Sunny 16 and, and have Graham. Doesn't you have to be Graham and you have to make up like backstories about everybody who contributes to the coffee account. Do they like do that? Kind of a thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got to admit, I don't listen to the Sunnies religiously. That's my, like, if I've called up on everything, like, I go listen to them podcast.
1: Yeah. I need to catch up on some other stuff. It's been a bit.
0: Okay. Well, um, that's it. Jason, where can yeah. everybody find you?
2: I'm uh, on Insta. It's pretty much the only place that I hang out. Um, at Green Matter Photos, you can check out my work at my website, GreenMatterPhotography.com. And worst comes to worst, I'll be hanging out with those negative positive chumps. So I'll see you there.
0: <laughs> right on, negative positive chumps. I get it. That's uh, those chumps are becoming more and more daily. That group is growing at such a rapid pace. Um, yeah, it's getting huge. Yeah, they're almost four thousand members now. So it, you know, <laughs> I doubt there's anybody that listens to this podcast that isn't a part of that group. But if you are not, go check it out. It's a uh, it's where we all hang out, and it's where all of our inside jokes go to live and die, and mm-hmm. find a new life. So that yep. said. You can find me uh, on Instagram at for the love of grain. Um, I haven't posted there in a while, but I do have my personal account uh, that I do post stuff on too. I haven't promoted it in a while. Uh, it's just decogsdel87. If you want to go check that out, sometimes I post um, just more fun stuff. Um, still photography related a lot of the time, but um, not like quote unquote serious work. Uh, I do. I still do troll the Instagram, even though Ed has taken over posting and doing all the good, good job he does with it. Uh, I do still read messages and get back to people so you can get in touch with us there. Um, I also man the Facebook. So if you send us a message on Facebook, um, you can get in touch with us that way. Um, and speaking of Facebook, um, we're going to start posting like more stuff to the Facebook. I I Think we're gonna try whatever we can come up with um, like articles and stuff that we find that might be interesting um, I know when I do the book club episodes I'm gonna be posting links to said zines if they are still available or or books that I'm uh, reviewing or talking about whatever um, places where you could check them out so be sure to go and like our Facebook page that's also gonna be where we put up the poll for our logo contest so you still have about a week to get in any sort of logos for the podcast if you want to participate in mm-hmm. our logo challenge. There will be a swag bag at the end for the winner. Uh, if you want to find out what that is, go back a few episodes <coughs> where we announced it. I think it was with was it with Joey Reddy or Mike Padua. One of those episodes. Doesn't matter. Go listen to both. They're both excellent guests. Yep. Um, and lastly, you can find us at our Gmail account. That is just... Grannydays at gmail dot com, and you can pretty much get in touch. We respond pretty quickly. Uh, we have no life outside of this podcast, so pretty much
1: live, breathe this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> eat,
0: eat, sleep, <laughs> eat, sleep and breathe podcast. Hell, there you
1: go. You
0: know, <clears throat> Ed's ordering tacos and stuff during the podcast. <laughs> I'm
1: actually, I'm actually speaking of tacos. Once we get out of here, I got to go. Heat up some carne asada to, you know, feed the family. Mm-hmm. All right. Well,
0: well, we'll let you go ahead and do that. Jason, thanks again for coming on, man. This has been thanks, such a fun episode. Drop some knowledge yeah, bombs. Drop some some spiritual lessons for people. Hopefully we're changing yes. some lives this week. <laughs>
1: My life has changed forever.
0: Yeah. It's been a good <laughs> one. It's been our longest one. So now you, you hold the record for the longest of two podcasts. So there you go. Two slow podcasts. cap. Two (laughs) slow clap. You've got two now. There's something about you that you just—they just go long. All right, so everybody, thanks for listening. This has been Grainy Days, and we will see you next time.
2: All right, see you, boys. See ya. See ya.